This episode is brought to you by Brothers and Bonds Co. With an expertly curated line of Masonic apparel, gifts, and accessories, we're excited to show you what makes us uniquely Brothers and Bonds. As a listener of this podcast, we're offering you 10% off your first order with us. Just use code TRAVELINGMAN at checkout. That's uppercase, all one word, T-R-A-V-E-L-I-N-G-M-A-N. Be sure to find us on Instagram or at brothersandbonds.com. Hello, welcome to episode 61 of the Traveling Man Masonic Podcast here in the 24th District of Ohio, a podcast where we discuss our Masonic journeys, thoughts, family, life, future, connections made through the craft, and so much more. I'm your host, Worshipful Brother Jim Hall. On today's show, we'll feature Worshipful Brother James A. Buckhorn. The opinions discussed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not represent the views of Grand Lodge or any other Masonic body. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. Okay, I am here with Worshipful Brother James A. Buckhorn. Worshipful, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it today. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. So, you know, let, let's just start out with a little base stuff here for the for the people listening. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, what jurisdiction you're a part of, and, you know, give us a little bit of the base story. Yeah, sure. Uh, so... I am here as a member of the Grand Lodge of Indiana, okay, which is right next to your jurisdiction of Ohio, obviously. Uh, happens to be one of the biggest Masonic jurisdictions in the world, Ohio, of course, being bigger, but still both very large, wonderful, prominent jurisdictions. Sure. Um, like you said, my name is James A. Buckhorn. I'm a past master of Pentalpha Lodge in Indianapolis, Indiana, which happens to be observant in its mannerisms, observant with a lowercase o. Um, so the lodge I'm mainly a part of now meets and works by candlelight and is very deliberate, similar yeah. in many ways to your arts and sciences lodge that you guys have. Sure. Um, obviously very different, but but in a similar vein to that and perhaps Stonecutter, maybe Caliburn, some, uh, some of the other lodges you have around that do things in a little bit of a different flavor, but with all the acquired uh parts of our ritual and rules yeah i love that i I do live on the north side of indianapolis in our hamilton county i know you guys have a hamilton county out there as well but we do uh, i'm just over the border of hamilton county in carmel indiana okay yeah i'm a senior infosec engineer for uh some fortune 500 company that'll remain nameless right now but uh yeah, I'm happy to be here. Let's see, what did I get? Who I am, what I do, where I'm from. So far, you're doing excellent. One one cool thing, and I, I'll jump in back and forth with different stories. You know, I, I'm not a member of an observant lodge. Not that I wouldn't think that is pretty awesome. It's just where I'm at, there isn't necessarily one close. But the candlelight thing, we actually had a lodge in my district, Augusta Lodge. They were doing their annual inspection. And that was on this side we had really bad windstorms 
a month and a half ago, something like that. The electric went out and everybody was there. So they just ran everything by candle. So, you know, to that effect, it was a really different feel, you know, when you can flip the switch on or you're sitting there and you have the candles and everything's dark and, you know, the ambiance is really cool there. So I, I would like to experience more of that, but not in my area. So bummer. Anyways, back to you, not me. So let's talk a little bit about how you came to the craft. What happened? Was this a family affair or was it something that you kind of saw a square and compass in your town or wherever you were and said, you know what, I'm going to look into that and jump on board. How did, how did it come to you? Yeah. So this is a great question. And I know it gets asked of a lot of people and uh, I love, I love hearing these stories. I've got a pretty unique one, I think. Okay. Uh, in some ways I, didn't know the extent of my Masonic uh, connections as far as who in my family had been involved in the craft and, and related organizations until after I really joined. Okay. Um, and there's two things I want to talk about, kind of my progression from youth into masonry and the, the void that it really helped fill for me. Um, and, and thank God it did. Uh, I don't know where I'd be without masonry right now. And then the other part is this theory I have. Um, I've yet to write an article on it, but it's called the scales of Masonic interest. And that's, that's the working title. So that's, that's a theory we can get into in a minute. Okay. Um, I joined when I was 22 years old. I remember going to elementary school and, and one day, a couple guys walked up on stage during lunch and they were wearing scout uniforms. Okay. They were boy scouts and they had flyers in their hands for cub scouts and tiger cubs. Sure. And I remember taking a couple flyers home and giving them to my dad. And I, I don't remember anything, but I do have a core memory I remember where I was sitting and where he was sitting. We finished table. We always had family dinner together. Yeah. And at the end, he kind of, you know, pushed his plate to the side and he, I don't remember where he pulled it from, but he, he was holding this thing in his hand. And I remember the way he said it. So you want to be a scout. <laughs> okay. And, and this is, this is such a core memory for me because it was the beginning of such a major part of my life. So I got involved and, yeah. uh, I do have a, a older brother with special needs. I, I don't talk about this much, but I guess a podcast on the internet is a great place to broadcast it out. Um, okay. And, and he joined too. Nice. And so my brother, yeah. And it was, it was really great. Uh, my brother and I, we're in, you know, he's a year, a year and a half older than me. Okay. So he's a couple grades ahead. I joined as a tiger. He joined as seeing they, they've, they've changed the ranks, but he joined in the lower end of Cub Scouts somewhere. Um, and we went through that together, you know, kind of separately on our own journeys, but parallel together. Yeah. And for me, that established this weekly thing where, I would have pack meetings every single week. Sure. 
And then, you know, we, in scouts, we have a crossover ceremony that some people get to do. And, uh, you know, there's the air of light and a bridge you cross over and yada, yada, yada. But I became a boy scout and that was a major part of middle school and high school for me, um, was scouting and having this monthly meeting, uh, or rather weekly meeting every Wednesday. It's something I did. And it turns out my dad had been a scout and is an Eagle scout and, uh, for wow. any scouters listening, he had multiple silver palms, which, uh, you know, Baden Powell, I don't know why had this thing where the progression was bronze, gold, silver. So for every okay. merit badge beyond <laughs> what, what was required for Eagle, if you, uh, I think it was, if you had five beyond, you get bronze. If you had 10 beyond, you get gold. And if you had 15 beyond, you'd get silver. So, you know, 21 required merit badges. And, and my point is he had been pretty into the scouting thing. Yeah. And so it must've been, we've never really talked about it. It must've been awesome for him to have me come and ask you know, about knock, knock on the door in that way, you know, yeah. to, to bring masonry into it. My dad's not a Mason. Um, but I got to be 18 okay. and at the time under the boy scouts of America in that program, uh, if you were 18, you were aged out, you were, you were an adult and sure. that's very much separate, tons of different rules and, and I'm not complaining about that, but it was kind of sudden and I, I'm a late bloomer. I had a lot of stuff I wanted to do and, uh, didn't mature until later and, and, you know, was very shy and reserved. Sure. And so I felt like I was just coming into, you know, maybe a mental maturity of like 15 or 16 when I was 18, you know, the stuff I should have been doing earlier. I wasn't, you know, I was just so shy. Yeah. Um, But at the time in pretty much every other area of, of scouting that isn't Cub Scouts, be it varsity or venture or sea scouts. Um, one, it was co-ed and two, you aged out at 21. Okay. And what I ended up doing is I, I spent the next three summers working at council camps or rather different camps, uh, spent a summer working up at Northern tier in the boundary waters. So okay, did that for, you know, just, just over a month. Um, and then when I was 20, I was the archery coordinator down at a camp in Bloomington, Indiana. Sure. And when I was 21, I was a range officer and, you know, the scouts sent me through national camping school and they have very high standards for these things. And I came out certified to teach Yeah. Uh, pistol, rifle, muzzleloading rifle, shotgun, archery, range safety officer, all, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, oh I'm, I'm still certified in all these things, but. I was 20 and 21 working on ranges in what is considered by the scouts to be a, you know, you know, a high risk area. Sure. When I was doing things like writing, firing range SOPs, storage and cleaning procedures for firearms, I was judged not by my age, but by how good the work I was doing was. Sure. These things had to be approved by the camp and then by national and their various committees. And the, and the scouts have some of the most incredible leadership training so much so that there are many fortune 500 companies that have directly ripped off 
major portions of the training. The scouts just do it so well. Yeah. Um, but I'd go back home to my troop meetings and I'd had, I'd had this, you know, incredible experience and responsibility where if I messed up even once, it was a massive deal. Right. So there were no mistakes. And the way I ran a range, there were, you know, you really minimize the risk of anything possibly going wrong. Sure. Um, of course, you can't do it completely. The unexpected can happen, but but I always ran a very safe range and never had any incidents um, that were <laughs> that were risky. Right. Right. Sure. Um, sometimes you have to give someone a talking to or something, but but never had any dangerous situations. I come back, and at the troop level, I'm not really being utilized. It's okay. the worst of both worlds, you know. I'm 19, I'm 20, I'm 21. At the troop level, I'm an adult. Right. Sure. And, you know, we, we preach that it's a boy-led troop, but the parents are there and they do have a lot of influence. Absolutely. I wasn't being utilized. Gosh, I wish, I wish things had been different. Um, but I really got this feeling that I needed a change. And right. I started to have this growing feeling that things were empty. You know, I, I, it almost felt like I had a physical void in me. It felt like something was missing. Sure. And I didn't know what it was or what to do about it. I'd had this great fulfillment in scouting and having going to a meeting and being told what my options of what to do for breakout sessions or what merit badges I could work on or rank advancement. And you sure. get a list and I'd encourage you if you ever see a merit badge booklet to pick it up. They're, they're really great and wonderful. And you can learn about a lot of topics that in a way that's very well broken out, but I didn't have that anymore as an adult. There wasn't really stuff to work on, you know, yeah. as an Eagle scout, some of the stuff that a, a non-scouting adult who would join the troop would go through was stuff I'd already been taught. So it wasn't really, you know, it didn't necessarily make sense for me to go through adult leadership training or some of these other things, right. Uh, because it was a repeat of everything and actually for a lot of these things, I, I was able to get waivers because it was so comparable, but there was that empty feeling. And this is where that other theory, the scales of Masonic interest play. Okay. I'd done this stuff every day, you know, since I was in kindergarten, first grade sure. to being 21 years old, going every every week rather once a week, at least to scouting, I had this structure in this framework I worked in and achieving things feels good. And suddenly I didn't have things I could really achieve anymore in that same way. Right. And there's this theory I have, um, it's the scales of Masonic interest. Do you know what a, a pan balance is? I, I'll, you know what, I'll, I'll describe it for the readers who yeah. doubtlessly have seen one, but might know that's what it's called a awesome. pan balance, right? If you picture the scales of justice that uh, you might see in yeah. judicial or jurisprudence, uh, you know, different sure. legal aspects, mm -hmm. there's just that scale, right? It's that classic scale look. Um, and in the Northern Masonic jurisdiction of the Scottish, right? We use that to represent the council uh, of princes. Um, but I picture that every man Every good man, every good man we would want that would become a Mason sure. on one side of the scale has a predetermined weight. 
And on the other side of the scale, it's up to fate. It's up to fate what adds weight. And if the pan ever tips, if it ever hits the point where it levels out or that one side flies up. And on that occasion, that's the day when he decides I need to look into masonry or I want to become a mason. So yeah. I'm proposing that this isn't a thing that necessarily happens overnight for every person, but it's rather a lifetime potentially of exposure. Sure. So for me, that was, you know, um, watching things like national treasure and hearing the Masons portrayed. Yeah, it was absolutely. reading books about, you know, the ancient Rosicrucians and some of these other things that, that undoubtedly ended up mentioning Freemasonry in them when I was in middle school. Sure. Um, it's things like seeing the Shriners commercials and kind of understanding that these guys are also Masons. Um, it's one day realizing that every, all these good men, you know, that wear that ring on their finger, those are Masons. You know, it's a realization one day for a lot of us. Absolutely. All these little things are, are different weights on this scale. So for me, it had been a lifetime of being exposed to some of this subliminally, not really focused on it. Yeah. Um, and one day I realized that this is something I wanted to look into. You know, I kind of, you know, especially at that age, I think a lot of millennials, uh, they're looking for what they thought grandpa got. They're looking for the cloak and dagger. Um, <laughs> yes. They're, they're, they're looking for that mature masculinity, that classic masculine aspect of masonry. Sure. Um, the, the fantasy of the secret society. Oh yeah. Um, you know, Oh, one of the things is, you know, I'd seen the stonecutter episode, Homer, the great, Oh yeah, yeah. Right. And it's all these little things that might not necessarily be serious, but they leave an impression. Oh, this is obviously sure. a reference to the Freemasons or, you know, some of the other groups. Right. Right. So there was a day where I realized I should look into this further. I remembered that there had been a, a, a an adult leader in the troop who I had, you know, he had pulled around by the troop got, garage. We met in a, we met in a church. Sure. And we had a, a portion of the garage for our camping gear and we camped a lot. Um, I grew up camping at least once a month for, for many, many years. Yeah. And he had pulled his vehicle around to load or unload something, I think, or maybe just to be closer to help out. And I remember kind of peeking in, you know, very visible in his, in the back of his vehicle was a sword of some sort, but it didn't look like a real, what I would call a real sword. You know, I grew yeah. up reading DK arms and armor books, but <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, not like a knightly sword, sure. um, but maybe something more ornamental, like what I would recognize as an officer's sword in the military. Yes. Or an NCO sword, maybe. Um, and I asked him about it and he said, Oh, Hey, you know, watch this. He said something. I don't really remember, but he pulled it out. It's a, uh, you know, and I asked him about it sure. and he did some stuff and, you know, you've got me on camera so you can see, but he, he pulled the sword up and did what I would recognize as a salute now. Um, yeah. And this was a, you know, a Masonic Knights Templar sword. 
and he did some uh you know manual of arms with it and it was just you know these little things like alone didn't do anything for me but coming together in an encompassing net they certainly left an impression and i looked into it and i asked a few people about it and i you know People my age, I think we have a really, we're the digital children. We have a really high information literacy. We're really great at Googling things and going through it quickly, especially, uh, you know, us IT or future IT people, uh, us nerdy tech kids. Right. Um, You know, Robert Johnson. uh, Sure. He, uh, we talked about this a few years ago. We call it the uh, 45 minute SME subject matter expert. There's a topic you don't know something about. You Google it, you open 15 tabs by using the, the middle <laughs> click wheel, right? Right. On a hyperlink, you open up 15 tabs. You quickly skim every single one of those. Maybe you close 10 of them, but you've opened up four or five different links off of each of those pages. You quickly brush through it. You have a good sense of what's bad information and should be discarded. And you quickly brush up on this stuff. So I, I'd done some of this with masonry. I found the Freemasonry subreddit. Sure. Uh, I found some other stuff. I think it was probably on the Reddit that someone recommended, Hey, you should read a book by this fella called Chris Hodap. Yes. And, and it's, you know, Freemasonry for dummies. Sure. Great book. And it said, if you're really serious about joining, this is a safe bet. You're not going to learn anything that you shouldn't or that would ruin the experience. And there's even a couple chapters where it says something like, hey, don't read this chapter. There's nothing secret, but it might ruin the experience a little bit for you. Yeah. So I picked up a, a used copy off like Amazon uh, right. for super cheap. Absolutely. Like bucks, and I read it and it was awesome. It was Wow, it like scratched every, just the way it's written was so accessible. Sure. And that made me, you know, still as a shy kid, less less shy, you know, I'm 22 at this point. Right. And I go and ask, uh, I ask, I can't say what I was told. A, a mentor of mine was a Mason uh, and I didn't know it. And he told me what to say. And turns out it's part of a ritual um oh okay. I'm, I'm so embarrassed later to to think about this right um but i walked up to this guy at the scout troop one meeting and said i seek so and so right i want to be a mason which must have made me look like the biggest Cowan or eavesdropper to ever exist. <laughs> like I had read ahead, but I, it was just a Mason I knew telling me to say these things. Yeah. And, you know, fast forward, the rest is history. And I, you know, it's been an incredible journey. I joined a lodge initially that met every week. Okay. And that was great for me as a young, poor person working hourly. Right. Uh, it was awesome. It fulfilled me in so many ways and was just one I needed at the time. And that's how I found masonry. Wow. I can keep talking about it, but that's, that's a, it replaced scouting for me. And, and I know that they're really separate organizations, but I think spiritually they have a massive overlap. Sure. Uh, And I'm not trying to force scouting on anyone, but it's, uh, 
it's been a wonderful experience. It's like masonry is really in so many ways, a spiritual successor for those of us that were scouts as youth. And sure. I, I, I never knew much about D Malay, didn't really know it existed. And, you know, I wish I'd had a chance to be a member, but I had no idea um, that that was an opportunity that was available. Right. You know, the, the thing that gets me excited about podcasting and doing things like this is before you talking about the scales, you know, obviously I know what the scales are, but as you're going through your experience, Paralyzed. I'm I'm putting things together. I didn't scout. I did one year in Cub Scouts and it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. I just didn't continue on there. I don't, I can't see a real big reason why, but I look back and I say like, what, how would this have happened with me? And I know my grandfather was a Mason, never spoke about it, wasn't active in it, but he wore a ring. And I can remember, that's like a core thing. I can remember his ring and I can mm -hmm. remember he had the square and compass, like literally the standard, the circle blue, you yeah. know, like everyone had back in the day. And my grandmother was in stars and the, the square and compass and the star was on a like peach colored mercury topaz, the worst car ever. <laughs> but I remember that. And, you know, from that point, I'd asked, I don't know, I was in high school or whatever. And I said, I wanted to be mayor of the town I currently live in. I didn't live there at the time. And my father's like, well, you can't, can't be the mayor. I'm like, why not? He's like, because they give the mayor and the fire chief and police chief to the Masons. And my father wasn't a Mason. And I'm like, well, then I'll be a Mason. He's like, well, you can't because you're Italian. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I don't know any of this, but all of these little things where that word continues to come up and I'm pretty observant of buildings and whatnot. So I can remember seeing the square and compass and, you know, I love that analogy of that scale of everything just put a little more on there. And eventually, you know, yep. with, with the, the national treasures, which I watched and loved and still do, you know, that's a, like a comfort movie. I can put that on anytime, you know, Absolutely. it's, I, I love that. I I'm looking forward to when you put that whole thing out. Cause I definitely want to, I want to see that presentation because that's going to be a good one. Yeah. And, um, a funny thing about that is, you know, you flip over the dummies book and for those of you listening, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm in the Indianapolis area. You flip over the dummies book, especially if it's the first edition or whatever. And it talks about the author and it talks about the fact that he's local to me. And so, yeah. you know, I'd read, I read this book, ended up joining and I would, question the past masters and officers at lodge about things and it was kind of embarrassing that uh a lot of them weren't able to answer basic questions sure. that i picked up from this intro level book and it's just you know a different style of masonry where you know i joined a very social lodge initially right um and i think with my book nerd ways that we talked about earlier uh 
I was really looking for maybe a lodge that had a book club or did deep dives into historical stuff and research. Um, funny thing is I know Chris now I, you know, like, like a lot of people in Indiana masonry, if you're an active Mason, you'll end up meeting him. Um, sure. we're, we're officers together in the Dwight L. Smith Lodge of Research. I've, you know, not mentioned much of my uh, resume at this point in the right. podcast, but I, I am uh, now the senior warden of the Dwight L. Smith Lodge of Research, and he's currently our treasurer secretary and a uh, great guy. My lodge partnered with the museum and the in the sure. Grand Lodge building. We meet on the same floor, and we're the only lodge in the state that has been trained as uh, caretakers and keepers of the library. We've been trained in, you know, it's nothing fancy. We've been trained in the opening procedures of the lodge and how to, or the library rather, and to open it up. So if you come and visit Pentalfa um, and you get there early, there's a chance that the library will be open and it's something you can check out. Wow. And basically we, we just have a key for it. And, you know, I'm not trying to make it sound like we're some, yeah, some national treasure <laughs> level secret group a uh, secret lodge but you know we we essentially have been walked through the procedures to turn on the displays and lights and turn them off and lock the door and and have been provided a key to do that so um it, it's just interesting how it runs full circle and uh you, yeah you know you know the thing i love about it is you know you know with chris one of my things that i love in masonry disconnections how and how it happens you know i i never got into masonry to i don't want to say make friends because that's that's a wonderful thing that's came along the way but the people that i know because i'm active and you know vice versa if i would have never met these people would have never had these experiences would have never you know heard about the scales and whatnot if you know, a connection upon a connection upon a connection didn't work its way into, you know, myself talking to Jess Rains. Jess Rains telling me about Chad Kapinski. Chad Kapinski, I mean, I can remember he sent a picture. You you guys were on the on the way to the last Midwest conference, and I, <laughs> I believe it was you and Charlie Murphy. Am I correct? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, last year's. Yes. Yeah, that, uh, out that in was Kansas my, City, Missouri. Yeah, that was my first connection, and I know I had that doubt later on, but just on the random, he's like on the way out to the conference with me and you know James Buckhorn, and he he just wrote, he's like he's a really good guy. You should connect. <laughs> and in in <laughs> in between when we've started recording and now, Chad's already messaged me and said to say hi. So somehow he got the skinny we were recording today. And <laughs> he's, I, I, I may have mentioned it. Yeah. I'm surprised he hasn't called. So, but, um, but that, that's the thing that, you know, if you didn't join, you would have never had the relationship with Chris that you went through. And that's, that's one of the beauties of it. One of many beauties, I'll say. Yeah. And, and, I will say that I'm not trying to say that, you know, like I have all this secret access to Chris Hodap and, and all this stuff. It's, it's not like that. Anyone who met has met Chris. He's such an open and fun and I guess fun in his own way. Uh, he's very witty and has all these little jokes and references. Um, and he, he gets along with everyone. So I'm not saying I have any like great claim to his friendship or anything over anyone else. 
Chris is just, you know, and it's, it's like this, right. You know, there, there are guys that I've gotten to know, and I'm so grateful that are my friends now. It's such an on the level thing where we're equals in, in so many ways. Yeah. But there, you know, when I was a new Mason, I saw this, this name all the time. It was a John bridegroom and in Indiana masonry, like I would just see this name over and over because I'm observant. You know, you, you said you pay attention to buildings. I pay attention to like things I see, maybe not even intentionally. Sure. But you know, John was PR and marketing director for, for the grand lodge and involved in the arrangements of the magazine. And, and I would always read that as a new Mason and I'd see that and I'd see him active in our Facebook group and different stuff. And, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd Google something, I'd be reading about something unrelated to Indiana and his name would pop up and just all this different stuff. You know, he's got a company called, uh, the master's craft and he makes Masonic tools and challenge coins and all these other things. And, uh, you know, I just, I'd see this in random places. I'm very active on social media and I just, I'd see it pop up all the time. Yeah. And then I met the guy one day and I thought, man, this guy must be so important. Um, all these names that like are so impressive and, and, you know, maybe I should have mentioned the last couple names, uh, used a placeholder name. I'm not trying to uh, name drop or anything. No, but there's sure. so many names that you would recognize on a national scale if you're a somewhat active Mason. And I've met these guys, and they're pretty much universally on the level. Level, and it is just incredible that all these people I admired and used to look up to, like I was standing at the base of a, a mountain, and they were at the top. Yes, yes. You know, and in in so many ways, I still bow to their wisdom and their experience, but this, this whole masonry thing of being on the level, it's funny, you know, there's obviously some people who don't get the lessons of masonry and, um, and that's sad and, and not really sure. the focus, but, but the guys at the top, I think overwhelmingly exceptions exist, exist, I'm sure, but overwhelmingly they get it. And as someone interested in education and research, they're, there are names of prominent researchers and masons that are have received all sorts of awards that would equate to a lifetime achievement and having never met them before i can send them a well-worded facebook message and they'll get back to me with the information i need and yes it's such an incredible part of masonry you know i i actually did the same thing so, um a gentleman from texas there were a few charts and whatnot that he had up and i'm like man you know what those are just awesome and i was busy enough that i didn't want to take the time to figure out how to do it <laughs> and and i i messaged and say hey you know what i love this how what is what are you using are you using an app what's the deal and i really want to see what this looks like in ohio and i mean he sent me the whole gamut of yeah do this this and this and you know is that a uh, Zach? Yes, I see his posts on uh, <laughs> in the Texas Freemason group. Say, he he has been very active, but that's I saw that and I'm like, man, I just for my own, I I didn't don't know if we really want to use that at a grand lodge level, and I keep my position there as much out of the podcast as possible. But you know that that's the beauty of it is. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. I'm going to inter interrupt you. I. Uh... Yeah, I think I saw on Facebook uh, 
an apron that I recognized um, because I have an apron like that, a sure. white apron with a lamp of knowledge on it. The, a genie's lamp is my oldest calls it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the 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 uh, Aladdin yeah. or Aladdin uh, right. lamp, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that you guys have that. Um, it's cool because in some states around us, the education guys get purple aprons, which is really cool because it obviously, you know, they're, they're doing the work and that's awesome. And yeah. in many ways, I, I love that. Sure. But I love that Ohio has this apron that doesn't seem like a Grand Lodge purple apron. It's a white apron with a simple blue lamp on it with a little yellow flame. Yeah. But it kind of marks you as someone who well, ideally is a servant leader. And, and, you know, to me, that lamp, that apron says, I'm a resource. Ask me questions. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. Um, you know, you Chad Kapensky is a buddy of mine and we've gotten to know each other pretty well. And uh, I hope it's okay with him. I share this. I don't, I don't think he'd, I, I think it's on Facebook. He's, he's fine with it. But uh, when I got installed as master of my lodge a couple years ago, Chad drove from Athens, Ohio in Appalachia. Yes. He drove four hours one way to be there for a couple hours. And then he drove back. Awesome um, guy. Yeah. And he, and he gave me two very meaningful things. You know, he, uh, he was the education chairman in Ohio for a while. Sure. And he gave me his apron. Wow. And it, it's not something I wear out and about. Uh, and I've, I've got it in my stack of aprons over, over here and the, you can't see it off camera here, but, uh, it means a lot to me. Um, I collect interesting things. Um, yeah. but with that, it's who gave it to me and the, the memory tied to it. He also Absolutely. gave me uh, a pin of his own design with, uh, the square and compass and, and puzzle pieces on it. And, and for those of those of you that know, it's uh no Chad and uh, you'll probably know what that represents. And with some of the things I mentioned earlier about my personal life, it's uh it's one of the things we bonded over. Um, I got presented one of those pins myself. I, I made the trip down um, to his district, our, in 2019, our grandmaster was most forceful, Jess Rains. And they're in the same district, very close. And his son was joining. He was getting his entered apprentice. So a few oh, of us from my awesome. lodge, you know, took off and went down there. And it's probably three hours. And there isn't a straight road on the trip. It's over hills <laughs> and through valleys, and you know. But he <laughs> he presented me that pin there, which is which is a really cool thing to have, but on onto the apron, the thing that I love about the apron, and I, I was skeptical at first on the position, how I would do with it, because I'm not a super deep researcher. You know, I'm, I'm a Mason. I love the social part of it. I love learning, but you know, it's kind of, I have a lot of loves, <laughs> you know, spreading that around and, giving each enough enough due diligence is you know sometimes that can get in the way and 
the thing I really love about the apron first off, and this is something traveling with the deputies as well as really showed is, you know, that's sort of a beacon of, you know, I'm a resource of education and knowledge. I'm not code. The purple, you know, like if people were walking towards me and the deputy and they have the code questions, like they take a hard left and head towards him where, you know, is I'm, uh, you know, what should I do with this presentation or do you like this or should I change it or, you know, and, and on top of that, it, you know, you can, I think that that position is such a dynamic position yeah. that I didn't realize until I was in it. When I was sitting out going through the line, I'm like, oh, you know, that guy, he only says a couple words at installation or inspection and that's it. That's kind of a, I don't know if I would want that job. And, you know, once I got it, you know, you can really, once, once I was appointed to it, excuse me, you know, you can be an educational plug-in anywhere, whether it's in presentation, whether it's helping somebody in their chair, helping them with their year, you can really jump into a lot of different areas with it is, and that's what I really liked and was worried I couldn't do because I wasn't that major research type, but I've, kind of felt like I found my own doing that along the way. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, right? I had a similar experience when I was assigned as a mentor for the first time. Uh, I felt like I had no business and um, I guess this is another plug for an article I haven't written or published yet, but the working title of this one is um, give them Yoda and I know you're a nerd, so yeah, this probably lines up with, with some of your thoughts as well. But when we use the word, I will say I've done a lot in masonry as far as, you know, I'm usually active at least four days a week, often more. Sure. I'm very active online. One of my personal things is that I like to reach out to other guys in other places and absolutely grill them on how masonry is there. What's yeah, the district yeah. structure? How does education work? Sure. Do you guys have a past master degree as part of the lodge? Um, how does your Scottish Rite operate? What are your educational programs? I just, I, I, I love this stuff. I do that all the time. I've done that for years. It's one of the things I just live and breathe. Right. Yeah. Um, and in all that, I would probably say masonry and the experience and the membership process and all the things and all the programs that you could, you know, combine. I think it boils down to two words and that's expectation management. I think there's so much in masonry that can be improved upon or fixed even. Sure by having excellent expectation management, even, and not to get too much into, you know, observant masonry or other parts of it. Sure. There are places where if I said, yeah, it would be two months between degrees or six months or even a year between an EA and a fellow craft, people would look at you like you were crazy. Oh, no candidate is going to want to stay a part of an organization. Well, what does he expect? You know, are you just getting in a, a petition in your hand and it's red and 
you know, I've seen it before. A guy drops by a lodge for the first time. Um, and a couple guys go to talk to him and say, Hey, we'd, we'd love to, you know, you're very welcome to have dinner with us. Yeah. They don't even talk about joining. Uh, they said, you know, here's take our number. We'll take your number. We'll let you know what other events you can come to. And, uh, you know, the intent there is that maybe on the third or fourth visit or whatever the right time is, they ask him what he knows about masonry and if he's ever thought about joining. Right. Yeah. Uh, Or if he understands what the process to join is without, without, you know, forcing him to sign anything. Sure. Um, but I've seen those guys walk away from the guy, uh, and a, you know, a past master lodge come over and shove a petition in his hand, Uh, you know, and I'm not saying that that's a complete failure. Sure. But we haven't had a chance to talk to this guy yet about his expectations and it's a two way interview. Right. And I think, you know, if you started a job and you had the impression that it was a nine to five job with an hour lunch break. Um, but after you started and had been doing it for a while, someone pulled you aside and said, Hey, you know, you're really supposed to be here at seven 30. Right. And you've been taking these 50 minute lunch breaks. We really would prefer you keep it 25 minutes cause it's a 30 minute lunch break and you got a clock back in. You know, maybe up front that would have been more palatable, but you you gave me this impression and I was allowed to have my own ideas about what this is. Right. And I'll, and maybe I've been sold a false bill of goods that I would have been okay with otherwise. Um, so giving them Yoda, you hear the word mentor and a guy like me thinks Qui-Gon Jen, yes. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Yoda mentoring Luke Skywalker in the swamps of Dagobah, right? Right. Um, you you think about this, you know, it, an older knight mentoring a squire or a page. You think about, you know, uh, like a battle buddy in the military, um, a peer mentor of some sort, maybe yeah. an old salt mentoring a, a new recruit. Sure. Um, you know, the movie Training Day, maybe maybe not a good example. <laughs> But no, you, I, you I have these, yeah. Yeah, right. You have these thoughts in your head. You hear mentor. Holy crap. I don't think it's a secret among those of us that are very active in masonry or have thought about it at all. That one of the most basic things that, uh, mainstream masonry provides men is father figures surrounding them. Sure. And you know, that probably be called a father figure in psychology. I'd probably find point it and say, an uncle figure, you're yeah. right. you know, <laughs> yeah, the, right? the archetype of a, of a cool uncle that was older, that kind of like your dad, but would sneak you, you know, things that you probably shouldn't have extra yeah. candy, um, would still have your back and lecture you and teach you things, but in a more fun way. Yes. Um, and that's what a lot of us are looking for. I think. Absolutely. So when I was, I was made a mentor at a meeting I wasn't even at for a guy I really cared about, but I was a newer Mason. Sure. And in my head, I didn't live up to the standard of what I wanted to be as a mentor. And I now realize having mentored a few guys, um, and, and some of them, I mean, really hardcore mentoring of like almost like a traditional Japanese, uh, mentorship of you're going to come live at my house 
yeah. and learn from me and we're going to wake up every morning and you're going to draw buckets of water and <laughs> this is all a lesson um in in a way like that where i was at this guy's house every day and that happened to be his availability you know it wasn't an overreach on my part um and it was just looking back we always wish we knew what we knew now but earlier yes Absolutely. but like you like that experience you had um with the position you've alluded to but we've not actually i don't think named um we were given this opportunity this job this assignment this role this title whatever it is and i think we aren't sure of ourselves we go oh crap am i good enough for this Am right. I going to provide the value they're looking for? Am I going to hit the target? And I think most importantly, it's, oh no, am I going to let people down? Yes. And that's part of it. But the other part of it, which I think you've learned, and I think I've learned, is that part of being a mentor and part of being a district education officer isn't knowing everything about research or education or being a mentor or every ritual aspect backward and forward, or every piece of jurisprudence and penal code and, and Masonic law, it's being able to say, I don't know. Let's find right. out. Yeah. It's being able to say, I don't know all the answers. I'm here as a mentor to, I, I think one of the most important aspects of mentoring is, is making people feel as if they're on the level in sure. such a way that they can ask the questions that they're afraid to ask. Yes. Absolutely. There are a lot of questions I was afraid to ask when I first joined because some of the guys I was asking to them couldn't even comprehend where I was coming from with them. Right. Just, and the, the facial, you know, 80, what, what do they say? 80% of communication is nonverbal, the body and facial reactions of some of these guys, when I asked very kindly, <laughs> I, you know, I was trying to recall some of the facts from Hodap's book. Uh, I said, oh, and, and a past master would be addressed as worshipful brother, correct? And just, I remember this one past master, he screwed up his face and he just <laughs> didn't understand the question. He didn't understand where I was coming from. Yeah. And I think he said, well, he would just be called past master. I said, oh, okay. Okay. Um, I obviously with our talk before the podcast, I, I tend to rabbit hole sometimes. So number one, and I'm going to be quick with this one. Yeah, good. Qui-Gon Jinn lives. What happens? Does, does Anakin go bad or no? It's always on my mind. <laughs> I don't know why it's always Interesting. on there. Qui-Gon's a favorite of mine, right? He's Same. like the, Mav the maverick. He embodies and advocates for the living force, you right. know, kind of a parallel to gray Jedi, but not really, you know, yes. there is no dark side. There is no light side. There's just the force. Right. And I think that parallels a lot of stuff in masonry, you know, there's not good and bad. There just is. Right. Um, and I guess parts of that are human construct, right. Not to get too deep into the weeds. Um, yeah. Um, if Qui-Gon Jen lives, what was the question? Does Anakin flip to the bad side, to the dark side, or or does he kind of stay on the straight and narrow a little more because, you know, 
Qui Gon was a little more seasoned, mm-hmm. a little more in in the know, I'll say, compared to where Obi Wan was. And man, this is interesting, right? And there are a lot of parts of this that people don't realize, which is that when Anakin was granted his position um, on the council, yes, not but master. did not receive. <laughs> the acknowledgement as master that was because part of that is, and part of this I think might be later stuff post Disney um, buying of Lucas and star Wars IP. Um, But that's what's canon now. So we'll go with it is that Anakin had never mentored someone to master to, to knighthood. Right. Right. Ahsoka, right? We later see in in the cartoons and stuff that Ahsoka had been his mentor, mentee, his padawan during yeah. the Clone Wars, but had never, you know, she ended up leaving, right? Right. So she never actually hit this mark, and I think there's probably a Masonic parallel here. Is you know he was never a master because he never mentored someone to completion. Um. In my completion, of course, I mean that there's like a specific point that our mentees should be hitting, sure. not that there's complete mastery over everything in masonry as their as their goal. Um, let's see, Qui Gon Jen though. The other part of this is you know, younglings and other you know the force force sensitive were recruited and taken in at a very young age, Anakin was really, I think the argument could be made that he was probably too old. Right. In, in, in so many ways that he never had a chance. I wonder if Anakin, you know, if Qui-Gon had lived, if Anakin would, hmm, if Anakin would have been able to. If he, if he was already on that path crap either, together and become a, a great Jedi, but part of me feels like it's a loaded question and, and, and to be blunt, probably in some ways, philosophically, at least the wrong question, because the necessary thing was that Anakin brings balance to the force, which is what he does ultimately. Sure. Um, and that had been prophesized and foretold and it had, it had happened. Right. So right. Anakin had to fall and, had to restore balance in the force by coming back to the to the right side right before his death um and totally killing the emperor who definitely didn't live to star in another movie (laughs) right um (laughs) yeah that's the question you you had two questions so what's number two so and and this one is complete jargon but it's just because i follow along with the the whole anakin storyline do you believe when force ghosts come come back in jedi should he be hayden christensen as the force ghost or the old dude force ghost from old jedi Ooh, interesting so for those of you not familiar (laughs) when, (laughs) when the original trilogy was put out on vhs and even into some of the initial edits, um, they were revised and reissued special editions and stuff. Uh, I actually grew up with the original trilogy as my first trilogy and watching Same. in the library, which 
um, I, I don't think makes me better. It's just um, I was well familiar with it when the prequels came out, even yes. though I was so very young. Um, there's a scene where some of those that have passed show up as kind of blue translucent holograms of force ghosts, almost like a departed person appearing as a ghost that you right. could see. And in the movie you referenced, you know, Darth Vader's died. And who is that? Is that David Prowse? That's like, I don't know if that's actually, I almost said David Prowse, but I'm not sure if that's the guy or not. I I know there were multiple body doubles, et cetera. Um, yeah, I don't know. Cause so in the original one, they, they had one of the guys that played Vader on screen with his helmet off, which was a very brief amount of time, but a very important scene show up in i think he jedi robes as a force ghost later and then in later edits obviously after the trilogy um after the trilogy uh, or sorry the prequel trilogy came out some of the dvd edits to the original trilogy where they did the weird rotoscoping thing with the lightsabers and they looked orange on my dvd player um <laughs> his force ghost is Anakin from like the prequels. Yes. Younger version of this character, which was played by different actors decades apart. Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that one. Honestly, I, um, that's, that's I one. Are... I, I don't get to ask this question a lot because it never, it rarely comes up that whole timeline. So it just clicked when, when I thought about the whole thing. So Sebastian Shaw is the guy. The old, the older gentleman, Sebastian Shaw, and I, oh, I believe sorry, that's guys. the that's the guy that was Prowse was the guy that wore the suit. Shaw was okay. the guy when they took the suit off on the Death Star, and then either Perfect. way, and uh, legendary Bob Anderson, I think, was one of the stunt doubles for some of the movies. Yeah, okay, awesome. Was the sword trainer for Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. Yeah uh what else zorro i'm not i'm not actually not looking this up uh what else he uh, did pirates okay and there's a there's a documentary on him that i haven't watched called uh something the blade forging the blade um oh he trained errol flynn too which if you're into any of that stuff the yeah. old swashbuckling film so um, but he's the one who trained Vigo Mortensen, and I think it, I think it might actually be in the documentary where he talks about Vigo, who played Aragorn. Yeah, how uh, intense he was. One of the greatest swordsmen, most natural swordsmen he ever trained. So I think that guy's name is Bob Anderson, and he's like the definitive sword master of the stars. Um, was in, I think, helped with hundreds of films, and I remember looking him up a few weeks ago. Uh, and he trained, uh, I, I think, I think in maybe empire, he was a stunt double for Vader. Okay. I think that's correct. But again, I'm actually not looking this up. <laughs> yeah. Um, right? I, this is off the top of my head. I'm sure you guys can fact check it and uh, email me, tell me how wrong I am. Right. Um, right. Circling back <laughs> to the task at hand. We, we did not talk about the, you know, the resume, you know, maybe the appendant bodies and whatnot. What are, are you strictly, because some guys are just blue lodge. I'm blue lodge in the sense that 
that's where my activity is the main activity I, I am a member of a lot of other appended bodies but not as active so how about yourself how many appended bodies are you a part of and are you active in them or how many are you not if that's the shorter list <laughs> yeah uh so I belong to a good number of appendant, dependent, and concordant bodies, sure. as they might be called various places. Uh, you can probably see in the background here, I've got a bit of a display of some of my my uh, breast pocket and neck jewels. Sure. So I'm uh, very blessed to be in the Indianapolis area. Um, you know, it's so weird that the the Midwest has some of the biggest Masonic jurisdictions in the world to me. I always, I always just found it so fascinating and interesting and unexpected and yeah. Hey, we're not Texas with a hundred thousand Masons, but sure. You know, we've got 40,000 in Indiana right now. You guys have what, maybe 15,000 more at this point. Yes. Illinois is bigger than Indiana as well, but still the three of us are just powerhouses of Masonry and especially I think represent a, a really strong number of, let's see, uh, commandery, Knights Templarism in Masonry uh, sure. by number. So it's just huge. Um, Indianapolis has three of some of the most incredible Masonic buildings, certainly in the U.S., uh, if not the world. The Indianapolis Scottish Rite Cathedral is world-renowned. Yes. Just, just incredible. I've been training as a tour guide on that recently. Um and just an incredible building. Best example of neo-Gothic architecture in North America. Um, I'm sure that's what the Wikipedia page will tell you if you look it up. Um, <laughs> right. Pretty beautiful uh, Grand Lodge building across the street from it. But uh, obviously with the Scottish Rite, you know, everything pales in comparison to that. Right. Um, and then down the street, just an incredible uh Arabian architecture design of the Murat shrine, M-U-R-A-T. It's uh, the only French named shrine. I wow. believe that's true. Okay. Um, people will say Murat. Um, it's not technically correct. It's Murat, but uh, it's not something to nit nitpick, but I did want to say yeah. that. And Indianapolis, um, biggest Scottish Rite Valley in the world by membership for many, many years. And, I wow. think I think a Texas Valley may have surpassed during COVID times um, due to the amount of loss we were having uh, to death, um, but just historically very big in the world. In the in the world, um, Murat, biggest shrine by membership in the world, one, one of the best shrines in the world. Wow! And then very active in everything else. So, uh, so yes, I am a Scottish Rite Mason. Um, member of the Valley of Indianapolis, also a member of the Valley of Guthrie in the Southern jurisdiction. Okay. And um, pretty active, pretty involved, been in a decent number of the degrees on stage there in Indianapolis, uh, a member of the Supreme Council's Pathfinder Committee. Yeah. I'm really big on education and programming. So that's kind of a theme here is, uh, you know, when I was a Mason first raised i was looking for education and things i could work on and things i could read and i wasn't really satisfied with what was available to me right what i didn't know is that we had recently transitioned to a grand lodge 
website and membership portal system that you could log in through the member portal. And there were resources available. There were Grand Lodge programs available. Um, and I regret all the time that I spent without access to those. Um, sure. I don't think programming is necessarily the silver bullet to Masonry's problems. Right. But education, enrichment, and investment in our members, especially our new members, I think is very critical and programming can help with many of those. Some guys are just looking for socializing um, and a lot of those programs probably don't help them, but uh, some guys are really looking for something to work on, something to learn, a list, uh, a bullet point of items of things they can do. Yeah, so, absolutely. I'm going to clear my throat. You can clip this audio. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Let me grab this water bottle. Yeah. So active in the Scottish Rite, um, I am... Uh, a noble, a member of the shrine. Sure. Um, I guess I could look over my shoulder. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. so pretty, pretty active in the York Rite bodies. That's something I joined relatively recently, you know, in the last couple few years. Sure. Um, active in, in that stuff, chapter council commandery, um, pretty active in some appendant bodies, such as Knight Masons, uh, or I guess groups that are based off York Rite membership, chapter membership specifically. The Allied Masonic Degrees, the Knight Masons. Uh, going sure. through this new group called the August Order of Light. That's really fascinating and, and interesting. Okay. Uh, I joined the Masonic Order of Athelstan recently um, out at Masonic Week, and that was incredible. Um, because we did it in the House of the Temple's Lodge Room, which is the head of Scottish Rite Masonry for uh, the Southern Jurisdiction. Yeah. Beautiful building. I would have been honored. And Masonry is like a second job for me as far as the amount of time I put into it. And sure. I'm blessed to be able to do that at this current point in my life. Um, Ian, when you've joined so many groups, especially the big ones like Scottish Rite, York Rite Shrine, been a past master and all these things. Uh, I think some of us start to realize that we're running out of unique experiences to look forward to. And that's yes. okay. Cause there's plenty of work to do, sure. but being able to be in that incredible building with the grand master of this Masonic order who had came from, you know, across the pond, as they say, and been a part of our degree work for this Masonic order of Athelstan which I believe has been around for uh, just about 20 years, maybe. Wow. Um, okay. You know, I would have been honored. It would have been a good memory. Uh, as we were saying earlier, a core memory would have developed around this. If it were something superfluous or uh, something like the yellow dog degree, right. You know, something, uh, yeah. something fun and not intrinsically meaningful in relation to, uh, you know, core masonry, I will say that I am not poo-pooing the group, but <laughs> no, no, so absolutely. absolutely. I would, but, but to go through, you know, it had been a long time since any group had been allowed to do degree work in that building that weren't 
members of of the groups that met there or that weren't the groups that met in the building that were housed um, there wow yes um and even if it wasn't you know what an incredible experience that was oh me. my god yeah um i haven't been there i i wanted to but we were the last trip down that go. way was the time frame it just we were there for four days and three of them it was like a torrential downpour so it was you know there were only so much we could do and one day we were just so sodden and wet it was like you know what it was nice to just not run around for a day we kind of hung out a little bit but i need i need to get back there i've talked to um um and i oh my goodness i can't think of his name he's the current grandmaster of virginia we were at a grandview conference and he invited me he's like you come down he's like i know everybody there we can go through and do the whole meal deal and just have to get down you know there's busy schedules you know how that goes but yeah and, and i just met him uh 10 days ago and had his grandmaster's jewel on uh, nice was at our communication annual communication of the grand lodge what some people would call the meeting of you know grand lodge going to grand lodge you know sure uh, the annual meeting of grand lodge and he had a massive uh obviously historical i believe grandmaster's jewel on uh, yes. neck jewel just very very big uh five yeah. six inches i think maybe I, I i don't know it was just uh you know it was my job to uh hand the distinguished visitors and guests uh introduction cards to the mc paul yeah. page and uh so i was you know kind of turn my head grab a card look at it make look at the person you know, kind make of sure they're the politely. person. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I wouldn't necessarily know, but you know, they all had the cards in their hands. So they'd step up out of the vomitorium, which is kind of a wing hallway for those of you not uh, familiar with auditorium and theater nomenclature, but they were just off the side of the stage and they'd file in, I'd grab a card, you know, give them a polite greeting, transfer sure. it, make sure it was flipped correctly and hand it. And, and I remember looking and, a lot of these guys are grandmasters, past grandmasters, um, past sovereign grand commanders of the Scottish Rite. You know, just just very accomplished Masons who have had an opportunity to serve at a very high level. Yeah, and, and I look over, and the Grandmaster of Virginia, uh, who I'm sorry I can't recall his name right now, he had a just this beautiful jewel on it. It was very big, and uh, what ended up happening is I I had an hour before my flight where I was just sitting there and we got to talking and I thought he was the grand secretary. I didn't get to hear his introduction. And I, I, I mentioned that, you know, you're, you're the first grand secretary that I've met that wasn't grand master before, you know, it seems like they're always, and he's like, Oh, I'm not grand secretary. I'm the deputy grand master. I'm like, <laughs> like, Oh, and you know, it was it was such a good conversation and you know like like you said before where you know the these guys you know are you know people that you would look up to and talking to him it was just 
two guys enjoying each other's conversation. And I'm, you know, if you look at status of what each of us have done in masonry, you know, it's by far I'm down at the bottom and he's up here in, in things that he has accomplished. And it, you know, none of that mattered at all. We were just talking and enjoying each other's company. And so that, that was something that I'd really, I wanted to get down for their cornerstone ceremony and at the George Washington Masonic Monument. And I unfortunately live 0.9 miles away from where the train derailed, if you've heard any of that jargon. Oh, sure. Uh, so that was a real tumultuous time in East Palestine. It wasn't the best time for me to be leaving. So, so I had to pull out of that function, which was a bummer, but I will get back assured at one point or another. Um, yeah. So I mentioned Scottish Rite, York Rite Shrine earlier. Um, I'm in, I'm a member of, or uh, an officer of a few different research bodies. So sure. um, currently the senior warden of the Dwight L. Smith Lodge of Research, uh, uh, Indiana's only research lodge. Okay. Uh, member of a commandery of research and a council of research in uh, York Rite Masonry. I mentioned Scottish Rite stuff. Working on the Master Craftsman program. Let's see. Ah, Order of Golgotha. Let's see. Knight Masons, Allied Masonic Degrees, York Rite Sovereign College, August Order of Light. And I know there's there's got to be someone here I'm not thinking of. Uh, Gordian Knot, National Sojourners, sort of Bunker Hill, you know, just some other stuff. So, sure. Um, nice. Yeah. As far as appendant bodies, I don't think we've gotten into kind of some of the roles I've been blessed and honored to be able to play for for the Grand Lodge and uh, yeah. Midwest Conference and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I would absolutely love to hear a little bit about, you know, what other parts you've got to do in those, in those uh, organizations. So I've talked to, to a lot of people and I've been on calls before. I'm obviously involved in research and education. We've alluded to that. Um, I was a pretty young Mason when I was asked to be a part of the technology communication and media committee for our Grand Lodge. Sure. Uh, which I still do to this day and it's evolved quite a bit. And um, that was kind of the first exposure I, I really had to the Grand Lodge side of things. And before, you know, at my first lodge, it was, uh, you know, Grand Lodge better not come put their nose in our business. And, uh, <laughs> yes. You know, we're, we're not going to have the joint. Uh, uh. And then, you know, the, Honestly, though, it was like the Grand Lodge officers were um, fantasy, uh, myth mythological oh, yeah. you know, stories that people talked about, but no one ever saw. And looking back where I am today, I can't imagine that because our, our Grand Line is so active and they're, they're all visiting multiple lodges a week and right. they're spread th pretty diverse throughout the state. So I don't know why this was the attitude at the time, but, um, you know, the grandmaster came and saw my work and 
we had a conversation about something unrelated and he pointed at me and informed me that I was now on this committee and, uh, Oh, okay, great. And, uh, it was grandmaster Carl Coleman. So thanks to you, most worshipful, uh, that really opened the door in so many ways. Um, so I started, you know, I remember I got put on that and he said, you know, go talk to, go talk to so-and-so and, and, uh, cause I'd message him and say, Hey, thanks so much for the appointment. Is there work I should be doing? I haven't gotten an email. You know, it'd been a few days yeah, and I was right. sweating over here. I'm thinking, Oh God, I, you know, I'm not doing the work I should be doing. Sure. Well, what I didn't know is that they were like reorganizing the committees at the time and that that hadn't really done any work. There'd been a couple guys who had kind of helped film some stuff, um, for, for our, one of our major events, but that, it wasn't really a committee that did much year round. Yeah. And, uh, so I was very zealous trying to make sure I was meeting expectations. Right. Um, and, and I still that do that to this day and, uh, really enjoy doing that. Um, Oh, that's what I was getting at talking to all these other guys. Uh, when I mentioned that I became a Masonic educator in my twenties, yeah regardless of what age, I think it was 27. Um, and our current grandmaster, uh, most worshipful Gary E. Brinley, who just went into office on the 16th of May this year, yeah. um, he was lower in the line and he's actually the one that, that tapped me for that. And it's, it's really incredible and wonderful that it's funny that, that I think people my age and maybe not even people my age, but all people, look for mentors in their life in various places. And, and many times that's so hard to find and it's such a valuable and comforting thing to have. Yeah. And some of these guys see stuff in us that, that we wouldn't see in ourselves. And I guess, you know, as I'm saying this, I realize crap, that's, that's me now. You know, I have a little bit of, of this now on the other yeah. side of the table where I see stuff in younger Mason's, that I can stoke and encourage and give water and sunlight, um, or at least try to set them on the right path and offer my phone number and a comforting ear to help encourage them in their ideas or be a shoulder for them to, to vent against, um, for, for a issue they're facing in masonry or their lodge. And that's been awesome. But it, it was, uh, that brother who's now our grandmaster, he tapped me and, uh, I'd come to film an event and uh, I remember a buddy of mine had just been assigned to the same district. So for those, for those listening that might not know, um, Ohio over there has 25 districts. Is that correct? 25. Yes. And as far as I know, each of them has a district deputy grandmaster and a district education officer, and they both perform, um, specific duties. Is it, is that correct? You guys also have a grand lecturer and an assistant grand lecturer that oversees at least one of those maybe, or we, we, we don't have grand lecturers. Um, there's not a, there's not a head of ritual. There's not a singular grand lecturer. No. Okay. But we do most, I would say we have between two to three deputies and DEOs per district. Okay. So it is, it is expanded and, uh, Okay. That makes more sense. Um, so when I joined, um, there were 10 districts in Indiana, there used to be 42. 
and each of them had a guy and they okay. were called area reps. Sure. Um, but our immediate past grandmaster and our current grandmaster kind of, when they were lower in the line, they were given the task or took on the task of kind of reshaping the committees. Right. And so I happened, I think it was 2019 when I happened to, uh, attend this to film in, in the guise of my role on tech comms yeah. uh, to film this for the guys that couldn't be there for the district teams. We have 10 districts at this point and there were 10 educators. I think there might've actually been nine, I think, or eight. There were a couple roles that weren't filled. Okay. And there was only one or two places on different committees where they had people doubled up from what I recall, but I could be wrong. I really do try to get context and remember numbers and I'm pretty good at it usually, but not infallible. Um, and he came up to me and he, uh, said, how would you like to be the, a district educator to help out so-and-so, um, in your district? And I remember that a buddy of mine had just been tapped for that a few months ago for the same district and yeah he was a young mason like me and a, a really good friend and and someone i really look up to um but i remember telling telling this grand officer i said no <laughs> and i said it a little more i said it a little more polite but i said wow because i was shocked wow thank you so much for the offer sure I don't want to step on my buddy's toes. Uh, you know, I don't want to step on so-and-so's toes. I know he can do this, uh, you know, and this, he'll be great at it. And, uh, and I think I kind of got a strange look or something. And I remember thinking like, wow, there's nothing in masonry that I'm more passionate about at this point than Masonic education. And I would love to do this. This, this is holy cow. I'm, but I, you know, love thy brother. And I, I didn't want to, I want to, you know, when I was growing up, my, uh, my brother would often do everything with me and do the same things that I would do. Sure. And absolutely. so it became a, a real fight for me to have my own individuality and own experiences, but you know, yes. Um, and so, cause my buddy and I were so similar in many ways and in many of our interests, I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to step on his toes or have him feel like I was crowding him. Yeah. Um, so I said no with this great regret, you know, on one level, but also like, it's more important that I give my buddy a chance to shine. Cause he loves, I, I could tell the immense amount of pride he took in this. Sure. Um, and then maybe 15 minutes later, I think it was lunch or something. And I walked up, uh, on him and our current grandmaster having a conversation and, and the grand officer, you know, Gary had talked to my buddy and he uh, was asking the question to him kind of mom said, no, go ask dad situation. He was like, Oh, how would you feel about James taking the other side of district? So-and-so and my buddy goes, Oh yeah, that's fine. Or, you know, he, he gave some affirmative answer and uh, I don't yeah. know if, you know, really wanted me to do it or if he felt his arm was twisted or, or maybe he <laughs> thought it was a great idea. And maybe he already knew that, that the plan was to expand to two per district. Yeah. Um, but he said, yes. And Gary turned to me and he said, you know, you're in or something like that. He, he said, all right, well, good. And then they, they gave me a binder and everything. Everyone that day got binders of stuff to work on. So. Okay. Yeah. And uh, 
so that's uh, especially interesting um, because we've gone on to expand the membership, ritual, and education presence in each of our 10 districts to having ideally three people. You know, we have 40,000 Masons in Indiana and about 350 lodges. So that's about 35 lodges per district. Sure. And if you split that out, that's more than 10 lodges, theoretically, um, per educator, per membership, per ritual instructor, which is what you guys would have as a district deputy grandmaster. Right. Um, so that was a few years ago, and, and it is such a... Is such an odd thing. It is such a uncommon thing to have younger Masons, even though, you know, even, you know, I joined when I was 22. So I've done this for a while and I've certainly seen much older brothers who have been members for like two years, get tapped for similar honors and right. not have an eye batted. Um, but when it's a, a younger guy, even if they've been a member for five years, it's still kind of, you get a weird reaction sometime. Oh yeah. Um, so I will, I will say, I think that's something that Indiana has done well and in, in allowing men who would be good for the job potentially to do the job and not necessarily letting their age be a limiting factor. I've gotten some very surprised reactions and, uh, on some zoom calls when I, when I talk about some of this and I remember maybe it was a brother from, well, I won't say where down South somewhere. Sure. And I remember they were shocked, but they made a point to say essentially how impressed they were with Indiana as a jurisdiction that Indiana would allow that to happen. Um, I, I guess in many places, a brother's age is a limiting factor for some of these things. And, you know, it's not like him in the grand line or anything like that, but um, to, yeah. to even have a district position like that and serve on the committee for Masonic education was just incredible. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you know, the thing that I, I talk a lot with people all over all over the state, a lot of issues, and like I said, there's no silver bullet, there's no perfect fix. It's a staffing thing. And, and I don't like to sound like we're a business, but if you don't have the right the right guy for the job, whether he's 21 or whether he's 61, you know, if you put whoever in this position because he comes to lodge a lot, and I'm just working at a, a you know, craft blue lodge level, just because he's there doesn't mean he's the right guy for the lodge education or the whatever you're putting him in. You know, if you don't have a guy that's suited for those tasks, whatever that position is, is going to start to slip or fail. And and I love that you guys are doing that. that that's unbelievable that's great yeah and i feel very blessed and uh i know we're we've got a little bit of time um i was on a committee called internet inquiry committee um, yes i know part oh, yeah. of your part of your uh processes as a podcaster is interviewing uh and getting getting different perspectives on you know the people you're interviewing and uh out there for your viewers right Absolutely. Norm normally I wouldn't go through and brag about my accomplishments or read line by line off my, you know, personal Masonic record. Um, but I do want to share some of these because uh, I, I find it fascinating. If there's anyone like me out there listening 
that just loves jurisdictional differences as much as I do and and that there's different ways to do anything oh yeah um, you know there's an acronym but but basically it's uh you know big borrow and steal or something like that and uh yes you, you know take things that are good and apply them to your jurisdiction right that's it so I was on this committee called internet inquiry and essentially at the time this was before be a freemason.com really and before the northern and uh, Masonic jurisdiction and the shrine and everyone else that pitched in to help funded some of this research and formed the website. Yeah. We had our own. And there were six guys in Indiana and we'd get assigned uh, a lodge. If someone reached out, uh, we, we'd get assigned a man. And then in kind of our area, we would go through a process of connecting him with a lodge. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't anything besides going through a rather intensive process of getting to know a guy over the phone, email, et cetera, and then connecting him with a potential lodge. Sure. So, so essentially virtually being the bus that he gets on that drops him off at the door of the lodge. And the process exactly. from that point on would be the same as if he walked up to the lodge or reached out to them on the phone. Um, we just happened to translate the internet uh, inquiries into con contact with a lodge right um and that gave me a lot of insight i think and it, it was really valuable and i worked for a really incredible brother uh stephen Croman, who who uh, actually passed the saturday of the midwest conference and uh, oh, he was sorry. a dear friend and a good mentor and uh he was later in years but uh, uh so i i think it was just his time but what an incredible brother and uh i smile uh and i'm thankful for everything he taught me but I did serve on internet inquiry and, uh, you know, we've had a Masonic education day the last couple of years. And that's something I, you know, there was maybe a group of six of us, or I think it was four of us outside of the grand line that were really doing this. Um, a couple of friends of mine, you know, really, you know, and I really, COVID was hard for everyone. Sure. But it was like an accelerator or a catalyst for many of us. Um, with my tech background, I was one of, you know, three people that were kind of tapped as IT administrators for the new Grand Lodge meeting system where we, we transferred to teams. And, uh, so I worked really closely with the Grand Lodge officers and, and that was awesome. Oh yeah. I really got to work on the levels with these guys, elbow to elbow, um, doing the work, you know, collars off, aprons off all right. working toward a common cause and it's great it's given me incredible insight um compared to to most masons and i really impressed me and and i don't think how i know in in some places there is an attitude of grand lodge better not come here you know like i said earlier yeah yeah they're not seeing how these guys work and the and the the tender affection they have for the masons and and how much yes. these guys are servant leaders and uh I'm lucky in that aspect. Uh, in about 2020, a lot of stuff happened. I got put on this committee uh, called Traveler's Journey. We had this document that was like uh, kind of like cliff notes for all the different areas of masonry. Yeah. So it talks about floor work and dress and membership and has different chapters on open houses or um educational stuff and just just really good stuff i wish i had had when i was a newly raised mason but didn't right um i also chair a program called the illumination program 
Okay. I'm really, I get really excited about programs like this because I think some of us are on islands, you know, maybe we joined the wrong lodge and, and not wrong in the sense that we shouldn't have joined maybe. Um, but in the sense that we're, we're on the wrong Island we're we're with our, we're at the wrong lodge, right? Our heart belongs sure. somewhere else. And these are good brothers probably, but, uh, you know, yes. if you joined a social lodge and you're looking for something more academic, there's probably a lodge for you. Right. Um, but you, you probably don't know that early on. And, and I think a lot of programs when made accessible to people, um, can expose you to what you're interested in. And you might not know what you're interested in when you first join masonry. Actually, I'm pretty sure that most people who join masonry find something completely different than what they're expecting. And it's in a better way. Um, yes. they find an interest or heck I, um, you know, I really struggled in school as an ADD kid and didn't really thrive in the kind of cookie cutter education system we had. Right. Um, so having people and mentors that would give me individual attention allowed me to flourish in many areas. And, and, you know, for a kid who couldn't remember where his homework was, I can now give very long parts of ritual and confer entire degrees from memory and, sure. you know, as an actor would with, with hopefully a good emphasis and, and delivery. Um, but I chair the illumination program. It's a three part take home test. Okay. Um, you have to answer the questions, but you also have to cite the answer from three different available sources. So Whoa. in Indiana, we have the Blue Book Masonic Law, which is available as a PDF. So that makes it interesting and easy if you can search uh, easier rather. Right. Um, you have the ritual or ritual cipher. So every lodge in Indiana has a copy of mostly plain text ritual. It's kept by the secretary traditionally, okay. or I guess the master. Um, but everyone's entitled to a ciphered version of the ritual. So, you know, not written out in plain text and not with certain secret parts. Uh, you know, it probably just has extra X's or asterisks there. Right. And then we also have the monitor, um, which is a, you know, another little book that has things written out and written out in plain text and nothing in there is secret. Sure. Uh, even stuff that surprises a lot of our brothers maybe our uh, more old school brothers that would be surprised that it's, uh, you know, the funeral or the apron lecture is something you could stand up at your local Buffalo wild wings and <laughs> right. Read, read it verbatim or recite from memory. And you wouldn't be breaking any, any obligation or code. Sure. And it's a great program. I think, especially if you are going to be master one day, if you're going to be a warden, um, because you go through and it's not to teach you the answer to these questions. It's to trick you into thinking when a problem comes up in, in real life, in real world, it's not a memorization program. Right. You think, you know, Oh, you know, we, uh, we have a brother who hasn't paid his dues and it's March the third today. What, what are our options? Do we have to suspend him for non-payment of dues or are we illegally allowed? Well, Hey, you know what? I've done the illumination program and I know that that's going to be in the blue book of law and I, I can look that up without right. bothering my secretary or I can come to my secretary and say, Hey, you know, we don't have to suspend this guy yet. Um, yes. He can still pay and get caught up. And, and it's not, it's not meant to be like a, a know-it-all program. Um, it's, 
it's just a program for people that starts to get you thinking like a warden should is I think part of the intent of the program originally, but yeah. Um, yeah. So beyond that, you know, like I said, I've been an education officer for a few years now. Sure. I've watched the committee grow from 10 people to 30 people um, with awesome. our most recent grandmaster. Everyone that was on ritual education and membership committees, they've kind of been pooled together. Um, right. Masonry. And the feeling behind this is that our numbers are dropping. Right. And pretty much all grand lodges have the response of, we wish the numbers weren't dropping or, <laughs> yes. or at least not, not as rapidly. Right. Sure. What can we do about it? Um, our current grandmaster, our brand new grandmaster is um, a finance guy. He's a CFO of a, a bank in Indiana. Okay. So he looks at numbers and um, of course has thoughts based on them. And, and one of them is that, Hey, our numbers are dropping. We should do something about it. What can I as grandmaster do to help? Right. And so this, this new plan is that we'll kind of have maybe two, three years for this to really start working or achieving the goal, but doing lodge visits in a way we weren't before visiting lodges, visiting every lodge and trying to get feedback. Are they doing great here? Do they need additional help? And this isn't meant to be grand lodges coming in and sticking their fingers in your coffee and stirring it. Sure. You know, oh, well, you, you know, I could tell you needed your coffee stirred and I was just right. helping. And the lodge is like, well, we have a culture here and our culture doesn't include getting our coffee stirred with a finger, right? <laughs> so yes. that's my own analogy. So as bad or good as it is, uh, that's mine. But right. Um, and, and that's not the intent, right? It's that I go to a lodge oh, things are going great here. I build a relationship with these guys and, hey, call me if you need me. I'm probably going to be focused on other lodges and, and visiting them more. Right. I drop into a lodge that's having trouble maybe making a quorum, having enough masons to open. Sure. And, hey, I'm a, I'm a pretty tech-savvy guy. I'm pretty exposed to Grand Lodge and its programs and the resources we have available. And I know a lot of different officers and stuff. Um that that i might be able to connect you know it's a connection game right we were talking about yeah. this earlier where you know maybe there's something that would excite a lodge full of uh farmers we got a lot of farmers in indiana right and uh you know as much as i love observant masonry and meeting in my tuxedo to do ritual by candlelight you know i still think <laughs> yeah i might get i might get hurt for saying this mm -hmm. you go to some of these country lodges and watch these guys in denim overalls do the best dang ritual you've ever seen. I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's awesome. But yeah, you know what, what some of these lodges full of farmers, for example, uh, might react to and might get them excited and help them recruit new members could possibly be completely different. Yes. And what, uh, you know, we're, we're doing in, in, an urban or suburban lodge. Sure. As far as events and recruiting and socializing, right. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's lodges in Indiana. I, I can't remember the lodge name, but there's a lodge where they're getting a lot of people in community interest from 
the local tractor pole event. Wow. Uh, okay. You know, most, most people I know never been to a tractor pole. Um, I have. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> me too. And it's uh, right. Great. This is a perfect fit for this community. Maybe, yeah. maybe some of the lodges I go to that might need help might want to, well, Hey, are you going to your local car shows and doing this or that? Or, you know, what, what do you, what can you bring into your lodge to get people excited or, you know, so this is going to be called the lodge liaison program. So we've actually transitioned these district committees we've had before to do this. Um, so I know we're excited about that. We're, we're, you know, trying to solve, solve the membership question and, uh, Oh yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough question. That's such a, and you're right, you know, different places, what moves the needle? What moves the needle in East Palestine compared to, you know, Columbus, compared to Indianapolis, compared to, right. you know, it, it's such a hard thing because it's not going to be one thing. It's going to be multiple things. Well, right. And it, it, it's hard too, especially as someone uh, who studied some of the fundamental texts of masonry, things like the Graham manuscript and these other formative early documents. And I certainly have a certain impression on one side of masonry. And I certainly like my little, um, you know, I'll say tongue in cheek tuxedo club. Uh, it's not about the tuxedo. It's about the work. And I really think we're putting on an incredible experience at, at lodges like Pentalpha, Vitruvian, Crowned Martyrs up in Valparaiso, uh, Lodge of St. Andrew up in, you know, Auburn up in the Fort Wayne area of Indiana but that's, that's a flavor and it's a flavor we enjoy. Sure. But you know, if, if you're in a lodge, uh, you know, it's about finding your flavor. Right. And, and a lot of us that are involved in some of these different movements are very serious about certain aspects of masonry and put our heads together with other, uh, you know, thinkers. Yeah. And some of these topics, I think it's hard for us because we look at maybe what we see as the original intent of masonry or the older intent of masonry. And we realize that's maybe not exactly what's going on today. Sure. But the other part of it is, Hey, we have to realize that this is in fact, what's going on today. We have to be observant of what's in front of us. And this is, these are the cards we've been dealt. We can't say, you know, I want this different type of masonry that I think existed a few hundred years ago. Right. Um, we have to say, this is what we have in front of us and this is what we have to work with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, you're exactly right. The, the intent of it and the world that we live in and how everything else is changing and that there's so many different points to that. <laughs> it's tough to point put it one thing and say, this is it. And this isn't, but, you're right. The The masonry that happened in the 50s is not the same masonry, even though we go through the same ritual, you know, the construct of it and the construct of the world in that sense is such a different place now. Right. You kind of have to find your niche to make it all work together. Well, and that's, you know, I kind of have had some really wonderful talks with our, our grandmaster and, uh, Actually, for this next year, I, you know, I'm very honored to find out that I'll be able to serve as the head of education while um, 
you know, the, the previous committees kind of transitioned to being lodge liaisons and yeah. you know, kind of focusing on what these lodges need and leaving the one, given the ones that need the space space, you know, and focusing on the ones that might need some help without making it overbearing and overreaching. Um, hopefully we can help some of these lodges and, and kind of preventatively maintain some of these lodges that might be lodges that close in five years, three sure. years, two years. Maybe right. we can, you know, give some personal attention to them. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be doing my lodge liaison work. I'll also be working as the chairman of Masonic education going forward uh, this year, which I'm incredibly excited about, you know, I, oh, yeah. I never thought I'd be on education and uh, to now be able to be recognized by some of my ideas and work and, and to do, to do them, to put them in effect going forward. I'm just really thankful to our grand master and uh, to everyone else that has mentored me and got me here. Um, I know you're running out of time, but uh, I would love to talk about some of our, our programs another time and uh, well, kind of about know, the mid, the Midwest conference uh, too. Cause I think there's a big overlap with, with that. And I love hearing about programs and definitely want to talk about the Royal Schofield society a little bit. Sure. Uh, well, and pause here. I actually, my wife was able to make everything work. So we're good. Oh, neat. Ready to go. So I want to say, first off, congratulations that's unbelievable like <laughs> I, I i know in 19 i got asked to be on the membership committee and i was a, i was just on the committee and i was the same way i i started pinging the chairman and i'm like what am i doing am i doing something wrong what should i and he i think it was kind of like a you know hold your horses there youngster or <laughs> you know and, and then you got to kind of see how the whole system works but you know that's unbelievable. Congratulations. I can't, I, I know the, the thought of not wanting to let people down and do the position is due diligence. You know, it can be a daunting, like, I hope I'm up for it. I, and I know you are, you know, they don't, they don't give those out without knowing that they got the right guy. So that's exciting. Yeah. I am. Uh, I'm still a bit shocked. You know, it's, uh, it's all good and, and well to work on the quarries quietly with no expectation of reward. And, and really honestly, um, to anyone listening, you know, if I could give you advice, it's just do the good work. Yes. The titles to a great extent really don't matter. Exactly. And, you know, like I was talking with you beforehand, I've kind of struggled a little bit with this recently, specifically for my circumstance. It's something that I do do have to lean into a little bit going forward. You know, um, I'm involved in our lodge of research here and it's had a, a few ups and downs over the last few years. Yeah. And I, I basically went to some of those guys and said, look, I'm willing to help. I see that this is struggling. I envision some pretty great things that could come out of this. I think there's incredible value we can be providing our constituents, our members, you know, Indiana Masons and members of Lodger Research, sure. how can I help? Right. At that point, you know, this whole on the level thought, and, and my personal thought is that I will typically wear a white apron. I'm now a past master and, and at my own lodge, I don't wear a name tag that says grand anything or this or that. Right. I don't wear my fancy apron. I wear a white apron. Love it. Well, now as an officer of the Lodge of Research, 
I struggle because I have this cognitive dissonance, right? These two thoughts that are conflicting with each other, but I both feel passionate about. Right. I need to promote this thing because I want it to be great. And part of the way to do that is when I go out and about and I'm doing stuff as an educator or a lodge liaison, I'll be wearing my lodge of research apron. Yes. And it's not most the, the most glitzed out glamorous apron there is, but it is definitely a little bit flashy, certainly compared to, uh, you know, uh, a white apron, yeah, which, the plain which, I, which I like to wear. Right. Yeah. I'm, uh, the first, you know, you, you recorded, uh, what, two episodes at the conference. Sure. Was that episode 60, I think. And, and, uh, that is the Midwest conference on Masonic education that we yes. mentioned earlier. But, um, on one hand, I'm just another brother working to make these connections and share the programs we have and the common problems we're running into and, and solutions that might be had among our member jurisdictions and anyone else that attends this conference or reaches out to us by email. But, but on another hand, right, there is a level of decorum. There is, you know, there are circumstances where I should use these titles. It would be silly of me not to realize that sometimes being able to say, Hey, I'm not just another brother calling to ask about a program. I'm someone on the education committee, or sure. maybe I'll even say, you know, I'm a vice president of the Midwest conference. And I really do have an academic interest in, in what's going on. I'm not just, uh, I'm not whatever you think I am, or maybe I am, but I'm going to tell you a little bit more and hope you don't slam right. the door on my toe. Um, right. So now, you know, being chairman of education, what, what doors will these open that were shut to me before and how can that help me be a better servant leader? How can that get me to the resources that might not have been accessible before? Are there, are there people now in other States that I can call? Sure. Are there, education guys listening now, right? You know, right. Yeah. Are there are other, other podcasts I'm going to appear on and I'm the first vice president of the Midwest conference. I'm the chairman of education for the grand lodge of Indiana. One of the biggest grand lodges in the world. Um, and I want to hear from you guys, you know, and maybe this will help me great, make great connections. Right. So it's definitely odd for me. And, you know, I, I can tell, I think you'd be in a similar situation of, do I go around uh, introducing myself as this all the time or some of the time or not at all? What's yeah. the balance? And it's, it's using the right title, I think, in the right circumstance. You know, I, you're, you're, you're hit it right on the head. I know in my lodge, you know, 19, I was master and I've wore my past master's apron there twice. I wore it the, the time I received it when our, our incoming master got installed i wore my past master's apron that night and then i wore my past master's apron actually it was last i believe maybe two months ago we had our past master's night and i decided you know what i'm gonna wear that because that's we have all the past masters there that'll kind of be nice I, i'm the same way i don't i wear my district education apron when I go to other lodges because I want them to know that I can be a beacon that they can come to and any questions, comments, whatever. But I I really don't like when people say, you know, hey, this is because of what you did. Like 
no, I only was able to do this because everybody gave me the green light to just do my own thing. And I took all of their stuff that they were given and I put it on the Facebook. I did whatever with it. You know, I was a conduit for, for certain things. So I I'm in the same boat, you know, I don't like the, you know, call me brother, call me Jim that, yep. you know, I don't need any, anything else. That's, I just love the fraternity. I love being in it and what it represents in the guys and the connections. And I'm just, you know, blessed every day that I get to be a part of this. And I, I do think it's interesting and I could be incorrect and maybe it's just the, you know, parts of masonry and jurisdictions I've been exposed to. Um, you know, I'm very active in the Scottish Rite, and, you know, you have all these preconceived notions, I think, as a young Mason. And I'm sure there's notions I have of areas of Masonry and circumstances I've currently not been exposed to yet. And those will be corrected further on, probably. Yeah. But you have this, like, you know, I didn't say it earlier, but we'll call it the 10 foot tall mentality. Like you're looking up at these guys like, wow. Yeah. You know, I've had, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hardcore into, in a lot of what I do in masonry. And one of those is I truly am so passionate about observant masonry um, and kind of the experience that that combined and uh, can provide. And in, in many ways, I think provides a large experience for brothers that would otherwise demit. And I've seen that firsthand and that's not a confirmation bias that I've chased. It's a conclusion I've come to after talking to a lot of brothers. Yeah. But that's not, you know, for everyone, but, but I am so into this that I go to some of the industry events, we'll call them. There's no one, there's no one group that speaks for masonry or for observant masonry or what some people might call the traditional observance movement. Right. Although I think most of us within what under that umbrella have stopped using the traditional term, um, you know, to, to quote Andrew Hammer uh, at the event that I went to, which yeah. was the Midwest or uh, rather the Masonic Restoration Foundation Symposium. It was in Tucson, Arizona this year Okay, uh, at the end of March going into April. Um, and, you know, there's nothing traditional about traditional observance right? It's this fantasy we've built that this was the way that it was done. Right. So I had the most wonderful talk with, I think there's about 6,000 Masons in Arizona. Okay. And, you know, I've mentioned the size of Indiana before in this, in this conversation. I am very proud of it. I don't think that makes us better than anyone else. No. It might mean that we have more resources. And so I, I, I am proud of what we've been able to achieve with those. Sure. But I don't mean to say that, you know, we're not better higher, up, because higher of... up, right? We're yeah. not on the level or the floor is slanted because of this. Yeah. Um, but I am a numbers guy a bit. I try to be exposed to all parts of masonry and the masonic service association of north america yeah for years has put out a jurisdictional report i think 2020 might be the most recent one but okay. you can go and look it up and generally see roughly what the numbers they've reported are sure and assuming those are accurate or even if they're not that can give you kind of a good idea right yeah so i think there were six thousand less than six thousand masons in arizona right now okay um, and 
really, from what I've gathered and asked people, they're gathered around the metropolitan areas, uh, yes. Tucson, Phoenix, et cetera, which, which I don't necessarily think is uncommon. But so we're at this beautiful temple in Tucson, and okay. I am, I'm having this wonderful conversation with a brother. And I mean, this guy's a few decades older than me. Yeah. But his eyes are bright. He's excited. We're making a meaningful connection. Yeah. Wow. Damn. I have to go back to Indiana. And I wish, I wish this is a brother, you know, this brother is someone that I could visit with. Sure. It's, I just feel so on the level with this guy right now and, and so kind and obviously knows a great deal about masonry and converse with me in many ways. And yeah, you know, I, I think I was just looking for somewhere to set my apron, even though I was traveling, I did bring my own apron. I had a place, I needed a place to stick this apron. I wasn't going to carry it around all day if I could avoid it. Sure. The brothers there were helpful. I was talking to a brother that was kind of acting as you know, a member of the host building or one of the groups in it. Yeah. Wonderful conversation. And one of us must have said something like, how can I keep in touch with you? You know, I'd really love to talk to you, you know, some more and, and ask them follow up questions over email or whatever. Yeah. So, so we exchange cards and I look down at this, this card that this, very on the level Mason has handed me and it says, uh, you know, it says past grand master. Oh, holy cow. Namor. And I'm not going to mention a name. You guys can Google it if you want to. It was the immediate past grand master of that grand lodge. And, and it's just so wonderful to run into Masons like that. And going back and connecting this with what I was saying earlier is, you know, a lot of the very active Masons with white or purple hats at the Scottish Rite are the most approachable, most on the level guys that I was afraid to approach as a new Scottish Rite Mason. Sure. But now I make a point at Valley reunions and other events where people join to walk them over to someone and say, this is my friend, Gary, or this is my friend, Jerry. Sure. Hey, this is my buddy, Paul. And this is so-and-so he just joined today. I wanted to introduce him to some of the active members of the Valley. Yeah. I usually don't bring up the fact that this is the deputy for the state. <laughs> right. This sure. is, you know, these guys are all 33rds and many of them are involved in Grand Lodge or other places. Right. Nope. It's, this is my friend and brother. So-and-so I love that. What'll happen is later that new brother will have found a friend and he'll say hi at the next meeting, maybe at dinner. And maybe later at the stated meeting for the Valley, he'll see that guy with a purple hat on his head or a white hat. And he'll realize, Oh, I just had an on the level experience with this guy who in my eyes, there's such a gap between us Masonically. Yeah. But it, but, but I really do think that a lot of the times it's the guys at the top that are the most on the level. Sure. You know, I don't want to talk negative, but there, there are certainly one or two Masons that exist in every jurisdiction. I'm not sure that there's more (laughs) than one or two, 
right. there are certainly masons that maybe the mace the masonic tenants are still settling in uh, maybe sure. their ashler is rougher in that way than some people's yes i'm, I'm with you i know right and, where you're going with it and uh there are people that would almost knock you over to get your attention to let you know that they're a you know a one or a two or a three time past master or did sure. this or that for grand so-and-so in his year or whatever. And it's almost, it's almost been an immense, how should I, how should I word this? Not spiritual, but in, in mentalism, right? Some of these things of self-reflection and mature masculinity, this happens a lot, right? Uh, there's a Masonic podcast that I'm very, very close with. He's, he's been a dear friend um, and really was there for me when I was really sick and, you know, yeah. dying in the hospital, literally in the hospital. And he was checking in on me. Wow. And uh, very well known. And we don't need to mention the name and uh, obviously connections might be made and guessed, but it's not you. Uh, just for the, just for the I was going to say, I don't or, may, or maybe, or maybe it is. I don't remember. Maybe. He, um, <laughs> and it's funny because sometimes I'll have people come up to me and they'll say, man, I really just love what that brother so-and-so is saying on his podcast or this or that, or, oh, you know, I met him and, uh, this or that and 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 i'll hear different stories and people won't know that like we talk every day we talk every other day yeah you know like we room together at events and you know like when i'm in town he swings by and when he's in town i swing by you know like vice versa sure. um and people don't need to know uh, but, but it's it's so funny and maybe, maybe I was like that when I was younger. I don't know. I got to think about that. I hope I wasn't, but <laughs> maybe this is the improvement in masonry where we take these points of pride that we would maybe brag about and we just internalize it and, and kind of work through our thoughts on why we feel that way about something. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud to be the chairman now. But uh, that just means that the real work can begin. Not that I haven't been busting my hump, uh, but yes, I love that. You know, I'm I, I have this bad habit. I have this mentality of I'll celebrate when the task is completed, but when I complete the task, I don't celebrate. I kind of nod <laughs> and I move on to the next one. Yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of guys are like that. We're just, you know, and there's a lot of guys who work hard, and there's a, I'm sure there's so many brothers out there that I could name that would do an excellent job at many of the positions I've had most maybe yeah, you know actually all of them there are brothers that would have done a great job and but hey you know what I've been chosen this time and there's brothers out there working harder than me and smarter than me and better than me and probably every way and uh they probably don't care that they don't have the title they're just doing the work just and you know it. maybe next year and two years I won't have the title that's right but I'll Never be, know. I'll be doing the work and maybe the work will be slightly different and it, it won't be, you know, under the guise of chairman, but I'll be doing the work. We brought this up a little bit ago when we thought we had to quit, but now we don't. <laughs> um, let, let's jump into the Midwest conference. 
So obviously we just went over that, you know, we just, just had that and I went over it. And from, for myself, you know, it was a very rewarding situation because it was the first one I was able to go to was local enough and I was able to make everything work. But it was also a very different conference for me because the majority of people got to go to the sessions they wanted to listen to the majority of speakers they wanted to and you know chad kapinski was the president and he'd asked me if i wanted to come set up a stand and record live on the spot which i don't normally do and i'm like okay i'm gonna give it a shot and i i had a blast absolute blast at it but i only actually got to see half of I we I got to catch Jess Rains talking for half of his presentation. That's the only presentation I saw. Everyone else, other than the business meeting at the end, and apparent I was recording too loud, so I had to I had to Sorry. shut it down. <laughs> I was texting Jay Clark. I'm like, hey, I don't think he realizes how how bad the acoustics carry. <laughs> it's like so unique too that it the way it was bouncing from the balcony off the front of the room back to like under the balcony. Uh, yeah I was, I was talking and the gentleman john montgomery who's with me is a very loud mason and it was we were in such a good groove of recording and i'm like wait a minute we're in the middle of a meeting and then i started getting texts i'm like hey man we gotta we have to wait <laughs> like we we can't do this right now um so so my experience was definitely different not bad in any sense it was you know, I got to really enjoy a lot of different people that I don't get to see all the time. But j just give me a little bit of the insight on how how the experience at this last conference in Canton, Ohio was and how the conference in general has really impacted you. And, you know, I know you said you were first vice president. So what is what does some of that entail? And, you know, what's your experience with it? Yeah, so. I think at its most basic level, what a lot of these conferences and gatherings of Masons accomplish isn't necessarily the programming or with the programming. It's the fact that a bunch of like-minded brethren yes. of diverse backgrounds are gathering and they're breaking bread together and exchanging ideas. Exactly. Um, I will say that the conference looks pretty different every year. You know, um, I think the conference was in a rough patch, maybe five, six, seven years ago. I'm, I'm not quite sure on exactly the time period. Um, I think they had tried some stuff that didn't really work out and there was some confusion, uh, on whether they were part of a conference of grandmasters, which it's a standalone conference. It's been around since 1949, uh, I guess it was a logical leap to make that association that year um, and jump to that conclusion, but it was, yet it was erroneous. Um, yeah. So the last few years since I've been involved and, and become a vice president and moved up uh, through the vice president slots, you know, there can be up to five VPs and they're called first, second, third, vice president, et cetera. Yeah. Um, it's been eye-opening. It's been wonderful. I've mentioned how excited I get to to call people up and grill them. 
um, about their programs so much so that, and, and you'll probably appreciate this as Ohio Mason. I had seen some posts about uh, the Royal Schofield society a few years ago. Oh yeah. And I knew this guy, Chad Kapensky, and we got along pretty well. Sure. And I knew this other guy, Alex Herbert, um, coincidentally. And I hit up Chad on Facebook one day, I think. And maybe it was 2020. I don't know. Um, And I said, hey... I'm really interested in hearing more about the Royal Schofield Society. I've seen some of the pictures. Do you think we could do like a Zoom call? Um, You could like tell me about it or make an introduction to someone that could tell me about it. I'm just really curious. This isn't really like an official thing from Grand Lodge. I'm just curious and I'm going to try to report back on different things that I find because I, I, you know, I love this stuff. I, you know, in the same way that some people like to collect Pez dispensers, <laughs> right? Like, okay, good for them. Uh, I don't really get it. I really love hearing people talk about their programs and what they have in their jurisdiction. Yeah. And I brought a, a buddy of mine with me and he ended up becoming education chairman. And uh, so I guess that's, that's interesting, but um, so Chad shows up and I didn't realize how thoroughly involved in the creation and implementation of RSS. Right. He was and had been. And he brought Alex, Alexander Herbert with him, who sure. I knew, but Chad didn't know I knew him. Okay. And so when we greeted each other and you know, Chad, well, so I think Chad was, Oh, Oh, you know, there was a, yeah. You guys know each other, <laughs> you know? Oh uh, yeah. And uh, he just, not someone that it would make any sense that I knew, but there had been a meetup of like Masons from the Discord, the the Freemasonry Discord. And we'd met up at a lodge in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, there were like guys from four or five different jurisdictions, including Iowa, I think, that drove out. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, so I randomly met him and bought his book before it was on Amazon. And uh, yes. And uh and that's a light in the darkness. The only English language book on the real world documented with bona fide research um, accounts of Freemason lodges that formed and operated inside of Nazi concentration camps. Yeah. There's a lot of mythos around Freemasonry and, and stuff that happened within the bounds of the timeline of World War II. And a lot of it is fake. Uh, You know, book my talk on the forget me not flower sometime if you want to hear more. But, (laughs) um, but Alex has this incredible book. So, and I'm, I'm grilling chat about Royal Schofield and it was awesome. I love it. I love it. Check so many boxes. It, it does so many things that uh, I think are important and I kind of write it up and he gave me some of the, um, some of the PowerPoints and stuff on it. And I forwarded it to our grand line and kind of gave them some of my thoughts and, uh, cool. Um, and fast forward, I ended up getting voted in as a vice president. Um, when Indiana was not a member of the conference, you know, there had been some rough years for the conference, I think, and a few jurisdictions had dropped out. Um, 
And so I got voted in and we weren't a member of the conference at the time. And I kind of went back to Grand Lodge with my hat in my hand and I'm like, Hey, I wanted to tell you guys, um, I didn't really intend for this to happen. I was looking into the conference and, and actually I was helping, um, run some of the guided meditation breakout sessions as a facilitator. Yeah. And I just happened to be the only person on from Indiana and they voted me in and I figured I could say yes and then drop out later if you guys didn't like it. Um, yeah. Or if you thought it wasn't appropriate that that happened. So part of my job, the vice presidents and the other officers, um, you know, there's a secretary and a treasurer. Now there's an immediate past master position that was added to the bylaws last year. Yeah. Um, so Chad just rotated off as president, but he is by our bylaws an immediate past president and actually uh, serves as the head of the board now and kind of can help us navigate the pitfalls of what it takes to host and run a conference. Sure. It's our job to support whatever the next host jurisdiction is. Um, Minnesota, am I correct? Yes, we'll be in Minnesota next year. And uh, the dates are up on the website, mcme1949.org. Um, and so our job is to support that. So that's, uh, you know, I've, as I've moved up, I've really just really enjoyed, uh, reaching out to other jurisdictions and, and whether I do it directly or we hear the report from another president or vice president hearing what Iowa or Illinois or Ohio is doing what the Dakotas are doing, um, you know, this is awesome. Awesome for me. I love it. I love hearing about it. You know, what's going on in Nebraska and Missouri. Um, and then Missouri hosted last year in Kansas city. That was awesome. Their yeah. lodge of research, the Missouri lodge of research, which I consider to be, you know, maybe, maybe top two, top two for me, uh, in the U S certainly for research lodges. And that's, that's saying a lot. Um, I, I think Missouri is really incredible, uh, of course, <laughs> bowing down to the giant of the Texas Lodge of Research. That's just incredible. Both of them doing a lot of great things. Sure. Um, it was such an awesome conference and it was held in a hotel and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, a bad hotel, but it was held in a hotel and it was just incredible. Um, yeah. the, the surroundings don't really matter, right? We could be in the most beautiful building in the world, or, you know, even the Indianapolis Scottish Rite building, one of the most beautiful Masonic buildings in the world. And you could still have a bad conference there. Yeah. Um, but we, we were in this pretty nice hotel in Kansas city and it was awesome. Um, you know, and that's Charlie Murphy had, uh, you know, my buddy Seamus was supposed to come with me. He got called off for work, I think. Yeah. Um, but we met at his house and he made us, he made us coffee. He used to own a coffee shop. He made us <laughs> coffee and sent us on our way and let Chad Kapinski park his car there. Nice. And then Kapinski, Charlie and I drove and that's when you got that selfie. Yeah. Um, and historically, you know, I think, and, and I say historically based on what I've been told, I've actually not verified this for myself. I don't know what, what there is um, as far as what we would call in research primary documentation, 
um, you know, direct descriptions and pictures and reports of, of records of what have actually happened with previous conferences since 49. Sure. Um, but I, so I will say there's that caveat, but I, as far as I understand, this has been a conference, at least in recent years and maybe always, um, where not brother masons at the lodge level that aren't involved in anything officially attend not sure. necessarily the grand master and his contingent attend but in recent years at least this has been targeted at the masonic educator yeah what in ohio and indiana would be the deo hist you know historically um, sure. what in illinois would be the deo or the area education officer or their chairman, you know, these are the guys attending on behalf of their grand lodge and grand master, really just a unique experience as there have been past education conferences, uh, that are regionally based. I don't think they're around anymore. I, I think there used to be an Eastern conference on Masonic education. I don't, you know, I, I can't think of any other education conferences that exist and, uh, I do apologize if I'm wrong and I'm just not aware. And uh, you can send me, by the way, I'll mention my email later, but uh, <laughs> you can send me corrections to james at areyouatravelingman.com. Um, I really do want to hear from you guys and any feedback you have, any questions. If I've mentioned a program and you'd like to hear more about it in Indiana, um, yeah. if, especially if you're involved in education in your jurisdiction, uh, or want to book me for a, a virtual or in-person talk potentially. Um, I'd love to hear from you. I like talking to brothers from all over. I love every experience. If you um, want to invite me to your bean dinner or your festive board or, you know, tails tuxedo event or, you know, denim overalls event. I'm, I love all of masonry. I'll come to pretty much anything. Um, that's done in the true spirit of masonry. So reach out if there's corrections you want to make, if there's comments, I'd, you know, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear them. I really do mean that. Um, it's a great, you're a great point that I know when, when Shad originally brought up the Midwest conference, I thought, I thought that like, there must be other conferences. <laughs> there must be, you know, like a, there's a Northern and a Southern jurisdiction of Scottish, right? There's gotta be an Eastern or, you know, so that's a good point. I never really looked into if there was what happened to him was. So, and, and a question just because I know if I don't say it right now, because I forgot it three times in the middle of us going back <laughs> and forth in this. Um, so as you, when you're the president and, and this may be just my not, not knowledge of the whole thing, does that mean that that will come to Indiana as your president, or is it certain, do you have certain states already picked out and we're just going there and it happened to fall at Ohio when Chad was in? Yeah. So that's a great question. Essentially. Yes. Um, per the bylaws, not necessarily, but, but, you know, there was some conversation on what would happen if Indiana never rejoined the conference and I'd made my way to presidency. If, if I would, step aside or remain and host it somewhere else or host it in Indiana without being a member or et cetera, et cetera. 
And uh, someone very knowledgeable on our bylaws said, well, you wouldn't necessarily have to drop or host it. Um, it's just been tradition is I believe what was said. Okay. Um, but, but yes, effectively and, and plot twist, Indiana has rejoined the conference. Yeah. Um, the Grand Lodge has seen the value in what we're providing. And our last few events have been very strong, um, which is the ones they've looked at. Um, Good. Since I have kind of gotten involved and you know what, I'll be honest, if I thought the event was trash and just really horrible, I would not have made a positive recommendation. Sure. Um, but it's been good. We've rejoined. Um, it'll be in Minnesota next year. It'll be in Indiana the year after that. So 2025. Uh, don't have dates yet. Don't have a location nailed down yet. Um, but do expect to have that done by next April. Um, I'd love to be able to announce our next year's event and dates at oh, yeah. the previous year's conference. So absolutely. Um, we'll see you all at the end of uh, May <laughs> in Minnesota, hopefully. And, yes. and it, it, you know, our Kansas City event and some of our former events definitely had the, the focus on the certain educational Mason appointees. Right. Um, you know, Chad was very ambitious. I loved it. And it worked. He pulled it off. I'm, I'm a somewhat risk averse um, in some ways. I like yeah. to really, I've seen a lot of events get ruined. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I've helped run some pretty big events and uh, comic cons and stuff like Gen Con. I, I have a little role in uh, running during the show part of that. Um, but I will say Chad and I guess us as his team too, um, but also his local support in Ohio, Ken Cohen, um, oh, yeah. et cetera, nailed it. Man, what an awesome job. We went from having pretty much only single tracks the year before. And, and I will say the the year's previous event was awesome as well. Um but the Ohio event <laughs> was that a, a month ago, man. Yeah. Um, the Ohio event was just awesome. Most of the, there were four tracks for pretty much everything except things like lunch and our keynote speaker. Right. Um, were you able to catch that? Uh, you sat down and interview, interviewed her, didn't you? I, think I, I, saw her. I did. I was not able to. And, I was lucky enough that Chad said, Hey, you have to stop here. <laughs> and, and luckily awesome. she, she's like, yeah. And, you know, we've kind of talked a little after, and I think we may do something on a larger scale. We had, I think maybe 10 or 15 minutes. We got to kind of get the basics of it, which was really interesting. I had a couple questions off the cuff for her there, but yeah, that's, I, and that's something that I think is hugely important. There are a lot of, I know we were talking about, East Palestine's charter. And I'm like, all the signatures are just almost gone. Like probably from light exposure or yeah. And that's what she said. Of the paper. She's like, well, you know, do you have is there light? Is it warm a lot? I'm like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you know, checking all the boxes. She's like, Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> so but yeah, yeah, it was it was really nice to talk to her. And I'm I'm looking forward to speaking to her in more depth. Yeah. And 
what a phenomenal resource she is. And for those of you not aware who we're talking about, uh, Dr. Heather Calloway, she is currently based out of Indiana um, and is kind of running the show down at the Indiana University Center for Fraternal Collections and Research. Really, I I have to brag, and even if I wasn't an Indiana Mason, I'd, I'd still do it. As someone interested in history and collections and research, it is so awesome to have someone like this running a, a program uh, and, you know, of that caliber in our backyard here. Yeah. Uh, I'm really proud and so thankful that she was able to be our keynote speaker. Um, when I suggested her, I really, you know, it's not my event. You know, I, I do help plan major portions of it or, or, along with the rest of the team, but it's really Chad, right? It's really Chad as president say. And so I kind of gave some suggestions and after he talked to her, you know, he did what I wished had hoped would happen, which she's going to give the keynote. Oh, yeah. awesome. Um, and the keynote was awesome. She was pulling random stuff from the temple in various places and holding it up in the middle of her talk um, and telling us about it and using it as an example. And it was so well-received. Her talk was so well-received. Um, I think it, you know, strikes a nerve and uh, whatever other analogy makes sense there. Um, sure. With so many Masons, especially the more hardcore ones that, uh, you know, and when I say hardcore, I just mean very, very active Masons and the kind right. of the kind of Mason that would drive a few hours to attend a <laughs> Masonic conference yes. in Canton, Ohio, and uh, which beautiful old style temple with oh, all yeah. bodies meeting in it and just awesome. Um, she was, she was an employee at the house, of the temple for 14 years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I believe you're right. She, she worked with some of the most incredible masons that masonry has. Um, her, her dad is a past grand master and, uh, her husband's a Mason and uh, wow, just awesome. She's forgotten more about Masonry than many of us will <laughs> ever know. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Right. Uh, and just so incredible. What an incredible resource too. I've yes. had ideas for years where I've started to tell her and she's finishing my sentences off the top of her head before, <laughs> before yeah. I even flesh out my idea. Just, you know, I've walked around temples with her before. Um, beautiful temple in Terre Haute, Indiana, and they have cave scenes built into the walls on one of the floors. Wow! For a specific appendant body, um, in which hermits play a part. So, won't spill the beans on that, but yeah. dedicated niches in the wall for people to occupy, and. Wow. They're that. painted as such and have been for a hundred years and every type of different edifice and material and medium that we encountered, she would turn to our, our guide and not in an unkind way, not in a braggart way, but, but would 
but in a very kind and resourceful way would offer up any resources she had available. Um, just working in the industry and, and working in collections and especially working with Masons uh, yeah. has exposed her to a tremendous amount of things that, you know, there's a very specific subset of things that happen in a Masonic temple. And so recommendations for people that would do these type of paintings uh, that she's worked with before that could patch them up, could do a good, honest job of repairing them. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, we get to, you know, displays and banners and she had multiple people for that. Well, you've tried reaching out to certain to local people and they haven't gotten back to you. Well, when I get back to my desk, I'll, I'll send you, you know, some people you can talk to. Uh, Oh, backdrops. Yeah. There's not many people that do backdrops. Let me connect. You just incredible. And I hate to offer her up without having (laughs) approved, approved it with her beforehand. But if you can get a hold of her, um, her contact information should be, somewhere she has a website um i think it's heatherkcalloway.com or or something like that but it's dr heather k calloway if you google it i'm sure you can find something um shoot her an email she's such a wonderful resource you know she's building this collection um down in bloomington indiana home of indiana university um it's going to be incredible. Um, they're not really open yet as far as I understand, as far as having collections like a museum would have collections out. Um, sure. I don't think they're quite there yet, but they've done so much and laid the groundwork and she's such an incredible resource. And I'm sure if you reached out to her that she would be yeah. happy to refer or talk about, um, you know, I, uh, I think I connected her with Chad Kapensky a few years ago. I think it was on during one of the COVID Ohio Lodge of Research Zoom calls. Okay. And Chad was talking about his John Shearer um, yes. book. And sure. John Shearer was very prominent in selling what we would call master's carpets, you know, tracing boards and stuff like that. Yeah. And at Chad's, at one of Chad's lodges, I believe Paramuthia, um, they have a Shearer book and they use it still to this day. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to want, you know, Chad had mentioned to me this year, oh, well, I had connected with her before. I wonder, I wonder who gave me her information. I go, well, that <laughs> probably was me. And I went back and I found in, uh, I think it was a text or a screenshot of a text uh, or of me sending over her name and info. And um, <laughs> yeah. it was so weird. Cause like they both knew each other, but like didn't necessarily remember all the details of it. And I guess this is one of two or three existing books of this type and style that are known to exist. And to, to have her at the conference and answering questions was just awesome. Oh yeah. Got a, got a little sidetracked here with, with that tangent, but no, yeah. um, you know, we're recording enough for six episodes. So, <laughs> well, and, and I got to hop in with the, I always hop in with connections. As yeah, I say, yeah. it's my, but, and, and I didn't know about the Bloomington thing. And, and the, the crazy thing is 
I am. I don't know if you've heard the Grand Lodge of England's podcast, Craftcast. I I can't remember if they're in their tenth or eleventh episode. Relatively new, and I started talking with one of their hosts via Facebook Messenger, James Dalton, and he actually comes to Bloomington to work every two to three months. And last, I can't remember when it was. <laughs> it's the times all run together. You know how it goes, but yes. I actually, I actually took a, like a six hour drive from my house to Bloomington to record an episode there. So it's kind of cool that the connections, you know, as, as you yeah, go that's... through, that's, that's the thing that somehow they, everything connects somehow, which I love. So just a little side tangent. So we had these four tracks and it was very ambitious. We had over 90 people registered. Um, we did end up allowing a few walk-ins, I think. Yeah. Uh, maybe not for lunch. I think that was a limiting factor was the amount of food we had and wanted to make sure everyone who was entitled to food and had paid for it, got access to it. Sure. Um, over 10 jurisdictions represented and and in attendance which was just awesome right we're a long way from oh, yeah north dakota right iowa a lot of these places and so it's it, it was really interesting um you know we've talked about dropping the regional title from the conference's name and it's something we're not trying to force but we're certainly open to we've had interest from grand jurisdictions in canada um, oh yeah other places that aren't a member yet have never been a member maybe one or two places that used to be a member um there are talks about rejoining we're not necessarily in a rush to do that but uh we're very open to it sure you know, we we talk occasionally um and recently we've we've talked about making it the national conference on masonic education and Absolutely. Again, we want to focus on this slow growth, but we're not opposed to that happening. If right. it does happen, um, I, I certainly, with you know, with all of us on the board, we certainly have a good amount of connections and connections from various parts of the U.S. that are definitely outside of the Midwest, right? Uh, and there's interest there. So, you know, if if some of these further states want to join, we're open to it. Um, yeah, one of the strong points of the conference has always been, as far as I'm aware, our jurisdictional report. So this is where the member jurisdictions, and not not necessarily only the members' jurisdictions, uh, kind of get interviewed and and have a a document that uh, which is accessible to anyone right now on what is it MCME nineteen forty nine dot org. Yes. Um. And you can go and kind of see cards on who's the Grand Master of Indiana. Do they have a theme? How many Masons are there in Indiana? Are there any predominant programs? What's required for proficiency? Sure. Um, and a few other things I won't mention because if I say it all, you might you might <laughs> not go look. Yeah, but, right. Um, I have said on our last uh, call since the conference, one of the things I want to focus on is getting lodge of, lodges of research involved. 
in sure. future shows. Absolutely. Um, we've had lodges from the host jurisdictions involved at the last two shows, at least. Um, I'd really love to see that going forward. I'd love to see non-host lodge uh, oh, lodges yeah. of research involved and maybe have almost a mini event. Um, I think there's a lot can be done in the same way that it's important that people that are at the table in regards to the Masonic education in their district have an opportunity to meet and talk and break bread. Um, that opportunity should exist with the research lodges as well. Absolutely. And we certainly have a unique environment to provide that. Um, and there, I, I personally find a huge overlap between research and education. I oh, know yeah. some people very much separate the two, but I think they go hand in hand. Hand hand hand, right. It doesn't have to be dry, boring historical stuff, which I personally love, but um, how does that translate into a lodge speaker <laughs> giving a presentation on it? Right. 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 Um, you know, uh, my buddy Joe wages has his presentation on, uh, something to do with Scottish rite masonry and ritual. Uh, I won't exactly fine point it, but it's a uh, lock and door, his lock and door presentation. And it's incredible. Um, and I think most people that would want to hear a talk would enjoy that. Sure. There are less people that would enjoy the talk he gave at last year's conference, um, which was finding La Candor, which was incredible because he went through his methodology and the process and, and there's definitely less people because man, that's some nerdy stuff. I eat that up. <laughs> right. Of course, Joe's a buddy of mine. I, you know, w w we get along great. And, uh, I, I love that stuff. It's just crazy that there's so much in masonry that is just laying wide out in the open. Sure. Waiting for people to find it. And that's not an exaggeration. You know, he's told me some of the stuff he's found is just was right there and people missed it. Absolutely. Or they trusted the records and didn't go get the book themselves. Again, what I was referring to earlier, primary documentation. Right. Um, they didn't go look at the primary documentation themselves, you know, um, I do want to plug, oh, he's, he's, he had this fascinating tool he told me about called fact grid, okay. um, which is kind of a wiki for historians and it's, it's super nerdy. And if you're into data, uh, fact grid might be interesting. You can run queries against the data. Um, it might be hard for you to get an account if you don't know who to email. If you try to okay. create an account, it'll get denied. You have to know who to talk to and who to mention. Um, and I've a kind of offered to spearhead the project for North America. Um, and I should probably finish my presentation on that. It's 90% written. The slides are done. I just have to develop the content. <laughs> okay. But, but essentially, you know, um, I've got access to a, a query that you can run that'll show you the geographic location of every Texas lodge. Oh um, yeah. And, but this is like historical too, right? So lodges that have closed. This could be helpful in people's research, right? Sure. Um, but other places in America don't really have dots on the map when you run the, the search for geographical Masonic lodges. So I kind of want to, this is a tangent, but we're going to roll with it and you can cut it if you want to. But <laughs> No, that's all right. But, you know, my lodge, Pentalfa, is in there. The Grand Lodge of Indiana is in there. 
they have a flag, you know, an attribute to list. Um, Pentalpha Lodge is a daughter lodge of the Grand Lodge of Indiana, F and M. Um, and I could go through and add every single lodge to have ever historically existed. I have access to that information and I can manually do it. Um, but I'd really <laughs> just love to do a, a database import of some type and then go through and manually fix whatever needs fixing and add the ones that were skipped. Yeah. Um, and so kind of my project with this is going to be a call to action. Um, okay. And ideally I'd be going to maybe research lodges virtually and kind of having a call to action. And, you know, there's this, there's these pesky things we have called rules. Right. And terrible. As a Mason, I really shouldn't be the one reaching out to a grand secretary of another jurisdiction. That's uh, in fact right. improper in many places, right? Yes. It has to go up and up and up until it hits the grand secretary here. And then he can reach out to the grand secretary there and request data. Um, but I can, I can talk to other Masons and, um, you know, if you and your jurisdiction of Ohio wanted to go through and had the access to, and, you know, got your own approval to do so. Sure. I'm not looking for personally identifiable, identifiable information or anything. I just want the historical locations of lodges and stuff like that. Yeah. Dates to go with them. Um, and if you got that to me in any format, I could normalize the data and and put it into fact grid. Um, so that's kind of a thought with that. And and I'm sorry to go on the tangent, but uh, cool. I'm I'm emboldened by my new appointment to pick up <laughs> some of these projects that I think could provide some tremendous value to different parts of the craft and um, and uh, to do something with them. Um, I think programs like the Schofield. Royal Schofield Society are very admirable. And I'm curious what your listeners have in their jurisdictions. I don't, uh, I would uh, assume that yeah. more listeners from Ohio than anywhere else. Um, yes. But if you guys have programs in your jurisdiction and you're not from Ohio, I'd certainly love to hear from you again at james at areyouatravelingman.com. Um, I'm in talks right now to, to create or revise some of our current Grand Lodges programs in Indiana. Um, Royal Schofield Society has been discussed. For those of you not familiar, it is a multi-tier program where you have multiple levels and yeah. achievements to get there. It's not fluff. It's not just doing stuff to get a pin. It yeah. is real bona fide important work that improves you as a Mason, but also provides tangible assets in some ways. Absolutely. Um, there's some serious self-reflection for portions that have to occur, occur and uh, there are tasks like writing a letter. Oh yeah, probably, that's, it's just I, I, write I've a letter been, to your lodge 50 years from now, and then they get to open it in 50 years. It, it's really, it's really tricky. I, I've been through the whole thing, and you know, that's one of those ones where some of them are, you know, you check the box travel traveling checking the box right. i and and there's still a lot of stuff you can take out of it because you go to different jurors or different districts uh, you know not your own district traveling i think is one of the maybe oh, yeah. the number one thing you can be doing as a mason to oh my quickly God, yes. improve and and it's just so stupid simple i know yes so many guys don't ever leave their lodge 
and it's such a it's such a shame because our differences are what make the fraternity wonderful yeah and uh yeah i'm sorry to cut you off there no no you're 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 dead on like there's so many there's so many there's districts the 25th district does things different than the 24th we're still in ohio we do the ritual the same but there's little things the way the hand moves the way the you know and i know myself before i started really traveling and doing the podcast and whatnot i thought the way ohio did it is the way freemasonry does it and you know then you look at different grand lodges and some of them have you know you don't just get appointed to the grand line you have to run for the grand line and you have like i know pennsylvania is the right worshipful grand master and you know there's all kinds of different nuances that you don't ever get unless you go do it yeah and uh in texas i think once you've been grand master you return to being a right worshipful you're no longer a most worshipful in Indiana, you'd be most worshipful for the rest of your life. Um, but in Texas, I think it's a right worshipful after you leave the Grand East, which, again, these jurisdictional differences are fascinating. And uh, sure, some so, of the ancients lineage stuff. Uh, oh, my God. Yes. And so I think Texas came out of Louisiana, which came out of Pennsylvania. I believe that's correct. And uh, just some differences there. Um, yeah. So, you know, kind of last, at least last question from me. You see a guy on the street. True. True. <laughs> True. Okay. Uh, sorry, I don't know how to play this game. <laughs> Brown bear. No. You know. False. <laughs> uh, and he sees your shrine shirt that you're wearing, or you have a Masonic ring on. And he says, what's it all about? I'm, I'm going to hit you with the elevator speech. What? Is, oh, wh- I, and I know, I know. It's, question. <laughs> I, I have the same thing. It's such a hard thing to. But what? What is it? If I come up to you and say, "Hey, James, what's what is it all about? What's a story?" In, in a concise, so that you may want to get somebody interested in the subject, the base subject. You know, and I think, I think the attitude is important and the context is important. Um, and if you kind of talk to me just like you did, what's it all about? And, you know, you've given me the, uh, you know, maybe this is someone that you would hope would become a Mason. I'd, uh, I'd probably say, you know, I could tell you, oh, this is good. You made me think here. (laughs) I could tell you, but the secrets of masonry are ineffable and have to be experienced. So why don't you come to dinner next week? You know, something like that. I love that. I, you know what? That's the first time that I've heard not uh, make a good man better. And that, that isn't, I use that line all the time because it's Freemasonry's made me better. Yeah. I, I mean, it's made you better. It's made yep. Chad better. I, I was the same way. I was shy. I was scared to death. I, we have to do our um, degree return where we go back and forth with one of the your mentor, and 
I I finished my master mason and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was so scared and I <laughs> yep. I, I did yep. it and, and I did well at it. Yes, sir. But when I sat down, I'm like, thank God that's over. I don't know how these guys do ritual. I'm out. And, you know, here I am talking to you for hours. And, you know, we barely met. We spoke a couple of times here and there. But, you know, it, it does make people better. But this is the first time I've heard. Why don't you why don't you come experience it? And I, and I love that. I love the. The same as everything else, it's such a personalized thing different things move the meat needle and if you told me that right off the bat i don't know if i would have came because i would be too too shy to like who all's there that that would probably be my question well who's a member i need to know some maybe i know some of these people and it would loosen up my anxiety of not knowing you know but on the flip side that's a very intriguing way of doing it too. They're like, I'm not going to give you all of it. You come and find a little bit of it. I love it. Well, and it's, you know, I was just kind of match. I, I really do think there's no cut and paste answer that applies to every single situation. Sure. Right. It's, it's different on the circumstances. So doing a bit of role play, that's the answer I came up with, but yeah. And, and I usually, I don't think I lead typically with, making good men better thing. I think I kind of do something similar, but I talk about the effects it's had on me talking about the fact that, you know, it's a good group of guys. And I think part of it is that when you surround yourself with good men, it's, it's easier to stay on a good path, you know? Yes. It's easier and, to succeed when you know, people want you to do well. Right. And I've surrounded myself with these peers and mentors and, and, you know, I used to say something like, uh, if you ask any of these big wig millionaires, billionaires, CEOs of massive companies, what their secret is R really, I mean, go out and look, uh, what their top 10 advice is. They've been interviewed all the time and pretty much all of them have said at some point, surround yourself with good people. Right. Yeah. And other people, some people misinterpret the quote, but, you know, I'd never want to be in the room, in a room where I was the smartest person in the room. Um, to me, what that speaks to is I need to be the sponge, right? Like I need to yes. be what the water flows into. If exactly. not, it's, it, it's Masonic to do so. Right. And it's like, move to where there's water, you know, Yeah. move to where there's, you know, I've got this where analogy with the fire, fire hose and light and, and all this stuff. But, um, was it, was it Kansas a few years ago? They had a really great page. I think it was Kansas where like, it might've been like a generic grandmasters page or, or something. I forget, but there was a great article, um, on are you feeding them you know keeping them fed yeah and it really struck a chord because i had a similar analogy as a young mason i was using with you know some lodges you go to and you say i'm thirsty i'm a sponge i'm ready to learn i'm a new mason and you know you're talking about education and, and learning and being mentored and uh you know analogous to water you know sure as light 
I love they look at you and they say, well, water. Um, yeah, we got a garden hose out back if you, if you're thirsty <laughs> and you out there and you crank on the knob and it's like a trickle and not really working. And then you're like, man, there's barely any water here. But like so many of us are in a position where, as I say, we were ready to drink from the fire hose of masonry Yes, to, to be a sponge and, and, suck up every drop we can to absorb anything we could um yeah that's awesome awesome i i can't tell you how much i've appreciated the time it if anyone out there once again if anyone out there wants to reach brother buckhorn your email again james at are you a traveling man.com <laughs> also i also I, I had a nice grin when you sent that along. I'm like, that that moves the meter. I love that. So well, and and uh, you know, I I used to joke with Kapinski. Ah, no, I don't want to meet this guy. He stole my brand, and uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're different. We're you know, we're different. And I just bought a a web domain so that I could have a Masonic email address back when I was doing internet inquiry stuff because yeah. Um, you know, they don't really issue Grand Lodge email addresses to committee members right. of various things. And I wanted something that looked more official than my Gmail address. Sure. So I bought this website and enabled uh, and and did the email. It has a Google backend. So it really is Gmail, but it's, you know, are you a traveling man.com is my, my email address. Um, and I have it all set up through my, my Gmail so I can send six different email address uh, as the sender. And it's all done through my one inbox. Um, but I have flags and auto yeah. this and that set up so that it automatically flags it at Masonic if I if I use that email address. And it, it looks more professional, especially sure. to, to people that were trying to join the fraternity I, um, or were interested potentially. I didn't want to have a Gmail address um, oh yeah. I thought it looked more legitimate to have that and then have my grand lot email signature and what I was doing. Um, sure. Yeah. And, and I'd love to hear from anyone. Um, if you want to connect, uh, don't necessarily go try to add me on Facebook. I'm pretty picky, uh, nowadays with. Who have I... to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's just, <laughs> I meant, I mentioned, uh, I'm an infosec guy, but also, um, I'd meet so many people and so many people hear me talk on this or that, or hear me mentioned. And it's gotten to the point where it's not enough for you to be a brother for me to add you because I'll quickly have 5,000 people and hit the limit. Um, yeah. I really probably will have to have interacted with you and had a conversation, um, not over Facebook necessarily, but you know, in person, yeah. Um, and that's kind of my threshold, but I would love to correspond with anyone that would email me. Um, and really I'm, I'm here to mentor if you have questions, but I'm also here to learn if you have, uh, you know, everything in masonry is co-mentoring really. You have sure. a conversation with a guy and you've learned something and he's learned something. As oh well. yeah. Yeah. Um, which is just wonderful. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, my brother, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I can't tell you how much it means to me. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And we'll see you again. Mm -hmm.